This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. That's right, it is A's Cast Live coming to you from Ho-Ho Cam Stadium in Mesa, Arizona, where the Athletics have a game tonight against the Chicago Cubs. And this is kind of like... What we do during the regular season where we do the show from the field. We are actually on the dirt as we speak as we're getting you ready to talk about a little bit about this game tonight. We're going to talk about uh, the athletics. So, Commander, spring training, what do you think? This is your first time coming down here to the A's spring training. Uh, it's great. I mean, after being in Vegas for a few days as a um, relaxation trip, and then we were at the, uh, the, the ballpark that Fran Reardon built yesterday. Uh, it was, it's, I love it down there. I mean, I've, only, I've, I've been up since 4.30 this morning after the <laughs> flight to get here from there, to, from Vegas, but I love it. Also, another guy that's not on the uh, trusty rundown I printed out, Dallas Braden will be joining us. Oh, that's when is Dallas going to be stopping by? Dallas will be coming up at 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock. All right, so we got to pencil that in. Dallas Braden will be a part in this. We're going to be here all weekend long. We're going to have the manager on, Bob Melvin, for the Bob Melvin Show, and uh, – yeah, it's 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 just it's so cool to come down. It's hard to explain to people just how casual it is, but it's just you know you come down, you have a few beers, you go to some games, and you enjoy spring training. And and we actually had a little weather issue here earlier today where it was sprinkling. We had a little thunder and lightning. You know, I remember I want to say it was 2013 or 2014. I was here when it snowed, like legitly snowed. We were doing the show because back then the A's played at Phoenix Muni, and we're doing the we're doing the show, and this dark cloud just came over Phoenix Muni and started to dump snow, and it got so bad over at Talking Stick where that's the Diamondbacks, and I can't remember who they're with. It messed up their field for like three days because the snow was this, it was slushy, it was wet, and the the these fields are so dry they're not used to getting any like real water. So you can have crazy weather turns around real fast here down in Arizona. But, yeah, like right now what we're watching the players stretch. They're playing flip, which is a baseball game where the infielders play, and there's fungos being hit. It's just, you know, it's a really a relaxed environment, especially after having a really good weekend where they took it to the Cleveland Indians multiple times. And today 
what we're really going to be looking at is Frankie Montas back on the mound. Can't say enough about the addition of him for a full season, healthy and ready to go. There are times last year that Frankie Montas pitched like an ace. He had ace-like stuff. When you can throw the ball 97, 98 miles an hour and then have control over that split-finger fastball, it gave it gave the hitters something else to look at that he didn't have. He had the plus fastball, but he didn't have a great breaking ball and he didn't have a put-away pitch. And the problem is with, with today's players is if that's all you got is 97, and years ago 97 was just, I mean, blowing cheese. But now these hitters are seeing 97, 98 at every level, and if they can gear up because they know that's all you got, you become very hittable very fast. And it really is the great work by Bob Melvin and Scott Emerson to recognize with him this talent and to give him another pitch. And to give him that split-finger fastball, I mean, he, he now has that weapon. And let's face it, there, there was a chance that he could have been not only in the All-Star game, that he could have started the All-Star game last year. That's how good he was. And you start looking around at this rotation, as we saw Jesus Lazardo yesterday in Vegas just effortlessly throwing 97, 98 miles an hour with a, a killer breaking ball. You know, Sean Manaya is now using a slider. And you think of Chris Bassett, which is always fun to talk to Chris. Saw him today in the clubhouse where Chris Bassett literally throws a 78-mile-an-hour curveball. And that's as hard as he can throw it. And the weapon to be able to throw 93 to 95 and then buckle you with a Nine, with with a 78-mile-an-hour curveball, that's just crazy what he has. So a lot of depth right now for the Oakland Athletics with starting pitching, a lot of depth all around the diamond, and it's one of the reasons why the A's are one of the favorites to win the American League. And the confidence that this team has, wait till you hear the, the answer I, I, I got out of Matt Olson today about the confidence that this team has. This, this team has a... They're primed. They're ready to go. This is what it's all about. Really, this is what they are ready to take on the Houston Astros and win the division this year. There is no question in my mind. Well, I think about for you, Las Vegas, this is a special place for you. You played here for a while when you are with the Padres. Absolutely. Uh, I spent two full years here in Las Vegas. I had a great time here. A couple of great seasons, championship, and and uh, I mean, I could have been treated any better uh, uh, by the front office here, Don Logan and and uh, San Diego Padres and the Las Vegas Stars. So it was a great time here. And I think for you, as you're going to be managing today, obviously this is a big part of your future. You're going to be manager someday in the big leagues. What was it like being on the on the staff with uh, Tito Francona? It's a lot of fun, man. He, he, you know, you get your own responsibilities. He let he, you know, he let uh, everybody do their part and then incorporate it into the game. Uh, the freedom that he gives you to do your things, so you, you, know, you tend to get a lot of responsibilities, so you make sure you do things right. And I think about your ball club now. This is still a team that has a chance to win the Central. You guys are still in this thing. You know, you got the Minnesota Twins. People talk about the White Sox, but you guys are still a really, really good ball club. Absolutely, we we won 93 games last year, and that and that's including uh, considering that we have uh, we missed Lindor for a month and Jose Ramirez for a month and a half. We missed Clevenger for a month, so we had a share of injuries. We still 
managed uh, to put together a fantastic season. Just Minnesota uh, really did play fantastic baseball last year. So we're still on a hunt for it to be a team in the race. And I think about the American League because this, this affects us, the A's also, is there's only a few teams really in this. There's a lot of underbelly. Talk about how when you think about the Yankees, you think about the Rays, you guys, the Twins, the A's, the Astros. There's only so many teams that are really, really in this thing to try and win divisions and get to the, the World Series. I mean, you can take nobody for granted, for granted because anybody can show up like Minnesota did last year. But, you know, the, the A's always uh, putting good teams out there. They're very competitive. And uh, uh, if you're looking for a wild, uh, wild card spot, it's very difficult uh, not to. you got to win more than 90 games you know, in order to make it. Yeah, think about that. We've won 97 games two straight years, and it only got us to a wild card game. That's, that's unbelievable. I mean, a team that wins that many games should be – uh, guarantee a, a, a postseason, you know, like a series, not not just a wild card. And when I think about you in Cleveland, what is that relationship like as you being a Cleveland Indian? And I know that the relationship between you and the town is very special. Very special. Uh, they they gave me that, that, that great opportunity to play Major League Baseball uh, mm-hmm. when I got I got traded to, uh, from from San Diego. Carlos Varga, myself, and Chris James. It was a good. Uh, an eye-opening experience, and uh, the opportunity was there. And uh, I mean, they they embraced us when we got in, and we went through the whole process of rebuilding in Cleveland, and then we end up joining the the results of uh, of a rebuilding. And your guys' teams, you guys were loaded. You had Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. You guys set the, the the streak for sellouts all time. At J- back then was Jacobs Field. What was it like during that time playing for the Indians? It was very electric. You know, you, you go to the ballpark, you have 43,000 people every single day. Uh, it feels like an, uh, a playoff atmosphere every home game. So uh, it was uh, very electrifying. Uh, our team, we had a fantastic offense and, and, and remarkable bullpen. So, like... Uh, the fans got to experience something very exciting for many years. We appreciate the time. Good luck today, and we'll see you back down in Arizona. Definitely. Thank you very much. So this is a big year for you, a chance to win the job outright and be the second baseman for the A's. How's the offseason gone for you? It's a very cool. Uh, I stay here in the United States for the first time in all my career. I prepare all my my mind, my my physical, and I feel good for this 2020. You know, last year I think it had to be very disappointing that you had a great spring training and you still went back to Las Vegas. Great place. We were just there. It's a great place to play. But just how disappointed were you that you didn't get that opportunity right out of the gate last year after a great spring? Uh, st- stay focused and do my job, do what I do every year and and see what happens in this, this spring training. <laughs> And, and you're surrounded by a bunch of great players when you're out there. If you think about Matt Olson, Gold Glove winner, Marcus Simeon was uh, up for the Gold Glove, and, of course, Matt Chapman with two platinum gloves, very special. What's it like playing this infield with, with such good players? Uh, we, we have a great players in, in the field. Uh, I feel good to, to play with, with that guys. They have a good glove. And we have a great team, too, and... I think we we we're going to win the the World Series with Chappie, Olson, and Marcus Simon. Yeah, and I think about how strong this team is, just the chemistry wise and the way they're built. What's it like being around these guys in the clubhouse? Because it's such a tight knit group. No, we are always together. We are happy to to be here to play baseball every day, and we're so excited to to this 2020 and play baseball, play hard and. 
and see what happened this year. What would it mean to you to be the opening day second baseman for the Oakland Athletics? Oh man, I'm so excited. You know? I I need to to play hard and do my job in, in this spring training and see what happens in the opening day. This is your year. This is the time to do it. So good luck the rest of spring. Hopefully we'll see you in Oakland for that opening day start and stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, it's been a while since we talked to you. How was the offseason? It was good. Can't complain. Just kind of, you know, did my own thing in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania and, and uh, worked out, worked, and had a good offseason. What was the number one thing you focused on in the offseason that you wanted to work on? Oh, there's a few things, but for the most part, it's just, you know, trying to stay healthy um, and get, getting prepared for the season when it comes to my, my body. But uh, And then just kind of working on getting back to being able to repeat my delivery and staying behind the ball. But, you know, that's, that's about it. I remember you talked a lot about that last year when we got the opportunity to speak with you, where you talked about, you know, being able to repeat it over and over again. That was something I know you were really focused on last year. Yeah, I mean that's I think that's 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 pitching. You know, the one of some of the best pitchers in baseball. That's all they can do is repeat. That makes everything easier. You know, you you screw up or you miss a certain location, but you can be able, you can repeat your delivery. You can make an adjustment off of that. You know, if you're not repeating your delivery, good luck. No doubt about it. And, and when I think about this team, and I really noticed this at FanFest, the confidence you guys have. Two straight years, one in 97 games, being in the wild card game. Talk about the confidence that's with this locker room right now because in this clubhouse, basically the core is set. Yeah, I mean, I, we're for sure very confident. I think we've last two years had some really good years. Obviously, it's pretty disappointing to come up short in the wild card game two years in a row, but... Like you said, I mean, we have a we have our core group of players here. We have Gold Glovers. I mean, some of the, one of the best lineups in, in all the game. I think our rotation and bullpen is phenomenal. It's just, you know, I feel like we're getting better and better every year, and it's getting more and more exciting to come to the ballpark, play, and and, and see what happens. And how about this rotation? It was like the last couple of years, Billy Bean and David Forrest are trying to figure out who the starters are going to be. And now, legitly, going into the season with Chris Bassett, there's like six starters that you can rely on. Yeah, not only not just six starters, but six very, very quality starters. You know, we have, what, two no-hitters, you know, thrown. You got Puck and Lazarda who are aces in, in, in their own right they're they're very good very very good young talented arms it's just it's it's fun to it's fun to watch these guys compete it's fun to watch them pitch you know it's just it's it's exciting and i think about mike fires and i think we really saw this at FanFest, how he has just become a, a fan favorite and a cult hero for how he changed baseball and we know the a's are one of the teams that complained about the houston astros just how much are you guys back in your guy mike fires oh 100 i was i was happy to see that that, that he, he did that it was uh it was something that needed to be done and i know that and he's got a lot of a lot of uh, crap for coming out and saying it but uh, I think that was the most important thing. He he he, he did this offseason for for the sport of baseball. I mean, it's it's. I don't think it'd be. I don't, I don't think it'd be overestimated. Uh, and it's very brave for for what he did. All you know, it's it's not. He did not have the. I'm assuming the best offseason in the world. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. So it was just. It was a brave thing. Yeah, I think Bob Melvin said it great. It's like at some point you got to stop this and it stops. So that's good for you pitchers because, I mean, the, the you imagine being on the mound and they know exactly what you're throwing. That's got to be just mind-blowing. 
I mean, I would much rather face a guy who is juicing, taking steroids, taking whatever he's taking than, than having a guy know he's coming or having the guy know what's coming. It's just it changes the game. There's Now you're not setting up hitters anymore. The only thing that you have is hopefully, you know, you you know your stuff is just better than you know the swing that he has but it's just i think it's quite frankly it's pretty ridiculous and on a lighter note my producer here went to a college in pennsylvania that's called the university it's like university of california like but in pennsylvania yeah, but in pennsylvania i mean do you, do you truly look down and that was your rival do you look down on that school <laughs> i went uh, i don't look down on that school <laughs> But uh, but no, it's 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 cool to have someone from from uh, uh, the PSAC. You know, you, you don't have too many us, us guys around here, so it's cool to it's cool cool to see. Well, you're one of our favorites. We always appreciate the time. Have a great have a great spring. Be healthy, and we'll see you in Oakland. All right, thank you very much. Good seeing you. Well, the last time we talked to you, we were doing the the great thing for Christmas with the A's, and since then, what's been going on for you in the off season? Not a whole lot. You know, after that, kind of ramped it up and getting ready for spring and obviously here and, and doing our thing here. And I think about you just got done doing ESPN. What is it like now to be getting national attention from the media? We, we hound you all the time, but what's it like now getting the, the national media attention? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's good it's good and bad. Uh, I think we like, you know, kind of being that, that under-the-radar team, but at the same time, it's, it's nice to – to, you know, get that recognition. Uh, you know, we've been a really good team the past two years, and we're going to be a really good team this year. So uh, I know a lot of people don't don't necessarily watch our games uh, outside of the West Coast just because of the time. And, uh, any any uh, attention we can get is probably good for us. You know, the reality is when you start winning multiple gold gloves and you hit a lot of home runs, people start paying attention. And I just think as a player, I mean, this is what you dreamed about, right? This is what you dreamed about your career. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this this kind of stuff and you know, World Series is number one for sure. But um, you know, going out there and, and doing what you can individually is is important too. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for any any of the recognition that I've gotten. But uh, you know, the ultimate goal is to to be holding that trophy up. And I think about you guys and your core. This has been a really quiet off season. You know, normally the A's trying to make up a pitching staff, but this 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 core is pretty much set. You've won 97 games two straight years. You've gotten to the playoffs. What's the confidence like in this clubhouse? I, it's pretty high. Um, you know, we don't want to get a, ahead of ourselves by any means, but um, you said there's not a lot of turnover. 97 games past two years, wild card. Um, I think we're just going to get better this year. Uh, you know, we got a couple young guys who are up now and, and you know, kind of solidified their spot. And, uh, man, we're just ready to roll. Now, don't tell Chapman or Simeon I said this, but I've said if the next guy who's going to win an MVP for the A's, I predict it's going to be you. Because I think about the defense, I think about the offense, the complete package. I can see that happening. And... What that would mean for your career would be unbelievable. But I still go back to your resiliency when you were going up and down. It wasn't Vegas, it was Nashville. They even had you playing right field. Like, you look back on it now, like, why the hell is Matt Olson playing right field? You're a gold glove winner. Just just talk about your journey to where you were then and where you are now. Yeah, yeah uh, it seems like a while ago now. Uh, that it was out and right. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's all part of it. Um, you know, I, those things... You know, the, the saying, what, what doesn't kill you makes stronger is, is, you know, I know it's cliche, but it's true in a way. And, um, 
you know, I, I knew that I had to come up and earn the spot. We had Yonder here who was doing amazing, and, um, you know, I, I understand that it's a numbers game at, at some point, and uh, there just wasn't a spot for me all the time. So just had to, you know, every time I, I came up and, and went back down, just had to know that, you know, it, it wasn't anything personal and just go back to Nashville and, and keep doing my thing. But, uh at some point uh, that it would be a permanent thing and, and come get it done. Yeah, you know, the one thing that I think about, you know, with your defense, you know, everybody talks about home runs. That's everybody. But talk about just how great your infield defense is because the metrics are weighing out that you guys are arguably the best in baseball. I mean, I think I think we showed it pretty well last year. Um, you know, we, we got a lot of guys who are, are going out there and – uh, you know, putting in the work and doing what we can to be perfect defensively all around. We want the pitchers to have the confidence in attacking batters and, you know, putting the ball in play to where they feel comfortable with us making the play behind them. And obviously we want to do what we can to, to uh, you know, make those plays for ourselves and the rest of the team. So, um, you know, it's we got a, a very talented group in the infield and, you know, we're just going to do what we can. You know, it's crazy to think that 97 wins only gets you into a wild card game. That's just kind of way baseball is. Have you guys talked amongst yourself about getting off to that good start? Because that good start helps lead you into whether you got to win 104 or hell, 107 games. Have you guys talked about that? For sure. Uh, the past two years, we've we've started slow and just kind of it got June and we had to get hot to to you know get into the playoffs uh, or get into the postseason and. You know, if we can make 10 of those losses, 10 wins in April and May, then, you know, that could change the entire setup of the postseason for us. Uh, we want to win that division and avoid that one-game playoff. Um, you know, we've been on the losing side of it the past few years, and, you know, we we really think that, you know, we trust ourselves in that scenario if we get there, but if we got to a series, uh, you know, we're, we're very confident. And obviously this offseason has been dominated by two things, big contracts, especially the big contract for Garrett Cole. We were down at the winter meetings. It exploded with everybody making money. And, of course, the Astros situation. Just, you know, you, you play against them. What are your thoughts when you knew? I know they're saying 2017. A lot of us believe it was other years. Just what are your thoughts on that situation? Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to get – too deep into it um you know these guys i'm sure they're not proud of the fact that that it happened and um you know they they got their punishment and as far as i'm concerned you know they're still a a really good team and a lot of talented players so you know we don't we don't truly know to what extent um nor will we probably ever and you know that's fine it's you know they're they're a good team we can't it's not like we're gonna go in there and overlook them now and you know say that you know that's that's why they beat us. Um, no, they're they're a good squad, and uh, you know it's in the past now. In, in my opinion, we're gonna go get them this year. Well, 2020, all the Ace fans are really excited. We appreciate the time. Stay healthy, and we'll see you back in Oakland. Yeah, thanks. Grady Fuson is walking down the line as we speak, and we're gonna have him on talk a little A's baseball and get his wisdom and all the years that he's been in this wonderful game. Of course. Uh, he tees it up with my brother and my nephew all the time down at San Diego Country Club. But this man is an absolute baseball legend. And back with the A's and a lot of these great players, he's 
been the guy that's been evaluate, evaluating these guys, and uh, it's going to be great to have him on as we have this best access. That's why we do this show the way we do it. So we have the access to the players and to the front office and to everybody in baseball. Like no other team has this type of access. Grady, it's great to have you on, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Mr. Townsend, you just got me in time. How about that? I, te- I texted my brother. I'm like, I see Grady over there. Send me his number. Where's the umbrella? You're out here in the heat. I know. It kind of shows you, you know, we're big league but not that big yeah, league. Yeah. How excited are you for the 2020 season, this group of players? Yeah, everybody's looking forward to it. So we've got a little uh, rebound here. Obviously, you know, we got off to a little sluggish 0-1-5 start, but uh, kind of rallied back. Got a lot of young kids involved, and it's been fun the last couple of days. Yeah, it, it kills me when, when fans are, are hitting us up on Twitter, like, panicking. I mean, it's spring training game. Settle down. I mean, the great thing <clears> about for the A's this spring is that you guys in the front office – you know, it's been pretty easy. You know, you're not you're you're not in a situation where you're having to build a rotation on the fly. I mean, you really have six options right now, and then you got a ton, ton of death at AAA. It's like for the first time in a long time, there's not a whole lot of movement. We know who the core is with this group going forward. Yeah, you're right on. I mean, it's uh, you saw it kind of come together the last couple of years, and now we got this healthy group of young pitching that we're kind of hoping makes it through this year. So it's going to be a big part of it. What team would you compare this 2020 group with all your years being with the A's? Um, Well, it's hard to say without, you know, the finishing of of the starting rotation. But, you know, I go back to those 88 to 91 years or 90 years that were, you know, the, the rotation was solid. The back end of the bullpen was solid. We homered. We walked. We had all the ingredients to creating runs. And it played itself out you know, over the course of a full, you know, three years almost. So, you know, we're on time finally with the pitching. If Lazardo's what we think he is, if Puck comes in and he is what we think he is, and the rest of the guys that are here, uh, the bullpen uh, performs, you know, offensively. We play the – we catch the baseball well now. Uh, I think our defense is as good as it's been in a long time, uh, both outfield and infield. So, I mean – we got a chance to be the total package type team if everything holds up, people stay healthy and and play uh, you know moderately to their potential. I'm glad you brought up the defense because I think around the country when people think about the A's, they think about home runs and they think about power, but to me the hallmark of this team has been just the superior defense, especially the corners, whether it's right field, left field, third base, first base. The defense really is second to none and it's you can win a lot of games with good defense. Without a doubt, especially when you have pitching and you have good pitching, that 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 plus defense just adds to it. And, you know, the one thing that hasn't changed in our game over these years is how to win one, and that's just outscore your opponents. So when you're in a position to win two-to-one games as much as you are to win six-to-five games, you're in good shape. Yeah, the A's, I believe, had 27 wins in one-run games, and that was the most in Major League Baseball. And it just tells you about the confidence, really, in in, in the players. And I, I, I liken this to basketball. I know it's not apples to apples, but recently I saw this interview with a lot of these NBA greats, and Isaiah Thomas was one where he was talking about, you know, losing to the big three, the Boston Celtics, taught them how to win. 
And then, of course, Michael Jordan got beat by the Pistons and not taught him how to win. So in sports, you can lose, and they're tough losses, but if it, it shows you how to win championships, and I'm hoping that the last two years, these wild card games have really taught these guys what the postseason is all about. Hopefully we get out of this wild card thing. Yeah. But uh, you know what's amazing is when you think we won, what, 97 games last year? How many games did we blow in the ninth? A lot. Yeah, it's like 27. So just imagine if half of those would have been saved, what our record would have been just off the charts. We'd we had the best record in baseball. I mean, think that nowadays we're looking at it. You've got to win well over 100 games to win your division. Well, yeah, I guess. You know, I mean, you know, how many clubs won 100 in their division? All three American League All three teams American League. won over 100 games. Yeah, so. You know, the game has its way of turning on, turning off, changing tides, but it uh, just shows you how talented some of these clubs are right now. A little live action here is a, uh, Matt Champman almost got us with the ball. You know, you were in a movie. A you, are, you are not sitting in a perfect spot. No, I am that. not. <laughs> That's why my eyes are always always looking forward. Um, you, were per, you were in Moneyball. And it's pretty, you know, obviously is a huge, the book and the success of the movie. How did you feel you were portrayed in the, in the movie? Well, not very good and certainly not with much truth. So I didn't mind it. You know, a lot of people don't know that originally uh, Steve Soderbergh was going to be the director. And there was about four of us that were going to play our own part. And I was one of them. Oh, that would have been awesome. And right the day they came here to film at Phoenix Muni. They had all the stuff. They had the booms and all the stuff that goes with production and television. And that's when they fired Steve Soderbergh and the, the movie went in the tank for a while. Yeah. And then the new director eventually a year or so later when they uh, decided to redo the movie, he had a whole different idea. So uh, you never really told Billy Bean that uh, he's going to be working at Dick's Sporting Goods, right? I don't remember doing that. <laughs> or you don't put a team together with a computer, no, Billy. No, no. <laughs> I mean, me and Billy always had our little arguments, but those are the normal things that go on yeah. in a front office. You know, you you talk baseball, and passionate people get get going. And but I've I've never not liked working for the man, and obviously he keeps hiring me back. So. We're good. Hey, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much, and uh, keep taking care of my nephew down there, Jack Townsend, because I think he might have a might have a future in the game he, of golf. He's missing me right now. He probably probably shy a couple of twenties that we play for here and there. So. <laughs> hey, next time you need a screen in front of you. I'm just I know, telling you. I know this is this is the last show we're doing on the field until we get back home because we do this in Oakland. We do this before every game in Oakland. We have the show out on the field, and it just it allows us to have access to people like yourself. Yeah. It's incredible. We appreciate the time. Be well. We'll see you back in Oakland. You got it. Thank you, man. Pedro, Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. How are you? I am well, Chris. Sorry about yesterday. No, hey, 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 you were in that room for a long time yesterday. You, 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 uh, we were waiting on guys. <laughs> yeah, you, you, put, you put in a long day. But uh, just how different is it for you when you look at the way the Oakland A's are now and the way they're run versus back in the day when you were covering them? You know, the A's have always put an emphasis on the players. So they, they may cut corners when it comes to other things, but not when it comes to the players and the comfort of the players. So I don't really see a lot of difference there 
in, in the sense of how the players are treated. Um, you know, back in the day, look, I, look, when I covered the A's, it was Dave Stewart, Dennis Eckersley, Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, Carney Lansford, Walt Weiss, Dave Henderson. I mean, it was Terry Steinbeck, Bob Welch. It was, you know, those, those, those rock star A's. And every player that came to the A's always said how comfortable they were. First of all, rather than wear suits on the road, they were allowed to wear jeans. Now, they were owned by Levi Strauss at the time, the Haas family, and I think that had a lot to do with it. But they always, uh, you know, there was always something about the comfort for the players. So, and, and you know what? They've always had these spurts where, yeah, they, they might be down for about three or four years, but, boy, then they all of a sudden spike. And I think we're in the, one of those eras right now where they're spiking again. I'm so glad you brought up that about the 89 team in the late 80s, early 90s, because, you know, we've been doing a lot of celebrating our history lately and brought those guys back. So when I've had Dennis Eckersley on or Stu or Jose, and you and you talk about how they were – they everywhere they went, they were the biggest names in baseball. As you said, they were rock stars. And it's hard when you look back – if you look at how the A's are covered today versus back then, they were like the, you know, Michael Jordan and the Bulls. It was amazing. It, it was an amazing time in A's baseball. It, there is no doubt. I, I feel like I was so fortunate to be able to cover that A's club from that era because it, they were – first of all, they were so much bigger than everybody else. Look, now today, a lot of players are bigger than they were in the late 80s. But the A's almost started that revolution where everybody was jacked or tall or big. And, you know, they would come to town for a three-game series at Cleveland, at Boston, at Detroit, wherever. And the series was already won by the A's just during warm-ups before the first game of the three-game series. They were so intimidating. You could see the opposing players looking across the field and saying, holy cow, look at what we have to play for the next three days. Um, and it was just superstar after superstar. You know, it was, it was star in the batting order from one through nine, whether it was, you know, Dave Parker DHing or, or whoever was DHing, whoever was playing right field. You know, which was usually Ken Seiko, Dave Henderson in center, Ricky in left, Carney at third, Walt Weiss, and then Mike Bordick at short. You know, you had Mike Gallego or Tony Phillips at second. You had McGuire. You had Steinbeck. And then, you know, the rotation with Stu and Welch and Mike Moore, uh, Kurt Young. I mean, they were just stacked in the bullpen. You know, Tony is the guy that kind of invented the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, with it, which, which was – Gene Nelson, Rick Honeycutt, Dennis Eckersley, they each had one inning to, to go through. So it cut the starters, you know, from having to go eight or nine innings. And they just were so good. And let's not forget they averaged over 100 wins a season from 88, 89, and 90, which was pretty – that's pretty amazing when you win more than 300 games in a three-year stretch. And now we're in a very good period once again with, with the, a lot of good young core players as the A's have won 97 games two straight years. I, I wanted to get your takeaway uh, from Melvin and the players. What's your sense after you got to talk to all these guys, their confidence heading into 2020? Uh, I would say it's sky high. Um, I would say that two years ago, you know, they, they kind of were, they woke up and, hey, we won 97 games. We're in the playoffs. But they, that was, you know, a, a big leap from the year before, from the 2017 season. 
Uh, now they've won 97 games two years in a row. They know they're good now. They don't have to wonder if they're good. And, you know, you've got such great, dynamic, young arms in guys like Luzardo or Manaya, And, uh, you know, you've got Liam Hendricks at the back end of the bullpen. They are, uh, they are primed, and I think they could be one of those under-the-radar type teams that, you know, everyone's going to focus on the Yankees and maybe even the Twins because the Twins had a great season and they went out and got Josh Donaldson. Um, so, you know, you're looking at that. You're looking at the White Sox kind of making a, a resurgence. Uh, but, of course, we know that it takes more than just saying, oh, they're going to be good. You have to actually do it. So that's, there's still questions with the White Sox. Tampa Bay's rotation is amazing. Um, so Oakland could be one of those clubs that kind of, almost in a sense, they, they might be ignored nationally. And at the end of the season, you could wake up and see Oakland with 100 wins staring down, you know, and, and saying, okay, we won the American League West and we're ready now. We, we know how to play in October after losing two straight wildcard games. We're not going to let that happen again. That was the sense that I got in talking to these guys yesterday. You've covered some of the greatest moments in this game. So you've been around. It's chaos, but it's chaos that's positive. For the first time, we're going to see something that's utter chaos, and we've never seen anything like what's happened with the Houston Astros. So as someone that's been around stuff like this, what do you think the season is going to be like for them? I think it's going to be difficult. I think they're not going to – look – as much as everybody or some people might say, oh, once the season starts, this will kind of just fade to the background, it won't because every city that the Astros go to, they're going to hear it on every trip through. And there's just no ignoring it. They, they might find some solace at home for half the season, but when they're on the road, I don't care what city they're in. It could be Kansas City. It could be Detroit, you know, clubs that lost 100 games. It could be Baltimore. Whoever's in the stadium is going to remind them of what they did. And, and look no more than yesterday. I don't know if you saw the uh, you know, ESPN had the all-access game between the Angels and the Cubs, and they mic'd up Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. So Rizzo's at the plate talking to Jessica Mendoza and John Chomby in the booth. And while he's in the batter's box, while the pitcher's getting ready, he said, I need someone to bang something for me so that I know what pitch is coming. Like, this is spring training having fun, and he's bringing it up. This is something that is not going to go away, and it's going to be difficult, I think, for those players because they're going to get tired of it, but the fans are not going to let them forget it. Yeah, we even saw Trevor Bauer giving his pitches away to the Dodgers yesterday. And this, yeah, and, yeah. and like you said, this is not going away. And I and I know we're going to try and pack the house and get real uh, loud when they come to Oakland because obviously we're one of the teams that complain to Major League <laughs> Baseball about this. We're one of the teams that have been affected by this. It's just uh, how do you feel about the discipline and how do you feel about how the Astros handled themselves after the discipline? Oh, oh Chris, that, <laughs> They're going to be there at game four, five, and six, don't forget, of the season. Yeah. They go to Oakland early, early, early in the season. Their first road trip is Oakland. And the one thing about Oakland and the Coliseum is there may be only eleven or twelve or 13,000 people there, but it sounds a lot louder. You can hear a lot of things. Or if there's 35,000, obviously, it's the, you know, the energy level. But either way, Oakland fans have been always – 
part of a group that lets the opposition know that they're there, no matter how small or large the number is. So it'll, that'll be interesting right there out of the gate for the Astros. In terms of you know the punishment and, and the reaction, I think, I think I look no further than the reaction of the players to gauge the disappointment that no players were suspended. And I fully recognize the fact that the only way to get to the bottom of everything was to offer immunity. I understand that. And they were able to get, I believe, for you know maybe 80, 90% of what really was going on. I don't know if it was 100, but they were able to get quite a bit because they did offer immunity. So part of the trade-off is nobody's going to be suspended. But the counter to that is that now players are really upset, really upset. And I think they became, okay, the, you know, the punishment was handed out well before spring training, and Jeff Luno and A.J. Hinch lost their jobs three or four weeks before spring training started. But once the Astros got to spring training and had that introductory press conference, the, the vibe that I got from talking to many, many players is they're acting like victims. They're acting like somehow they're not responsible for what went on. And that has really, really gotten under the skin of the majority of the players that I have spoken to. Let's end on a positive. And, you know, we know the CBA is coming up in two years. And we do not want labor strife. We don't want any type of stoppage. And I think what we've been seeing in the game ever since the 2018 World Series was over and Boston won, we've seen so many contract extension for young players. And we're now hearing there could be one coming out of Milwaukee, and it would be about nine years, $250 million for Christian Yelich, who is a superstar player. To get a, to get a contract like that, in a small market, to me, is good for the game. And the fact that we have so many guys making money today, I'm really hoping that everybody's going to look around and go, work stoppage, no way. We're all making too much. Well, and I believe that that's what both the Players Association and Major League Baseball want. That nobody wins in a work stoppage. Nobody. The game loses, the players lose, the owners lose, everybody, because of the stain that it leaves. So I personally believe that a new CBA will be agreed to before, well before this one expires, possibly sometime during the next calendar year, 12 months or so. Um, I don't think we'll go into the 2021 season lame duck wise with this CBA. I think something will be agreed to before the 2021 season begins. Um, And I I think that, uh, you know, part of what the Players Association is going to want is the fact that they don't. They don't want veterans just being pushed aside for because they make two or three million dollars a year for somebody making five hundred and sixty. Because the veteran adds so much, and I know that analytics don't agree with that principle always. But I'll give you a good anecdote. Brandon Woodruff hit a home run off Clayton Kershaw in the NLCS two seasons ago in twenty eighteen. He gets in the dugout. He is sky high. He just hit a home run, a pitcher, off of Clayton Kershaw. Everyone is like, you know, just jumping for joy inside the dugout. And a certain player went up to him, grabbed him, and said, listen, I know you're sky high right now, but you've got to sit down. You've got to relax. You've got to slow your heartbeat down because you're going to have to go out there in a few minutes and get three outs. Slow down. I don't think a $560,000 Major League minimum pay player is going to do that. That was Curtis Granderson who did that. And that's the value that sometimes a veteran offers that does not show up on any analytic sheet. 
And you are so right. Hey, Pedro, we love your work on ESPN. It was great that you were here yesterday interviewing all the A's, and total respect for your career, and let's do this again soon. Absolutely, Chris. Enjoyed it. Jared, welcome to A's Cast Live. We appreciate the time today. I'm glad to be here. Well, a very interesting article you've put out there and talking about the, you know, dealing with the Golden State Warriors for years and always talking about three-pointers and why do you want to shoot them from the corner? Well, because it's shorter. And now the Minnesota Twins, who led all baseball and home runs, set the record for most home runs of 307. You found their strategy. What is that strategy the Minnesota Twins are using? Well, for most of baseball history, you've always heard, work up the middle, hit the ball up the middle. Uh, the Twins said, no, we're not going to do that. We're aiming for the corners. We're going to try to pull the ball in the air. And the reason for that's pretty simple. The fence is a lot closer down the lines and in straightaway left and right than it is in straightaway center field. And the Twins hit more balls in the air to the pull side than any team in the major league last year. They set a record in home runs. And I think it's worth noting that the team that ranked second in pulled fly balls with another pretty good hitting team, the Astros. So clearly uh, smart teams seem to view this as sort of the wave of the future. And, and as you said, when we were growing up playing baseball, they always told us, hit it back up the middle, hit it back. But you know, you know the problem is with hitting it back up the middle? There's now a guy there. <laughs> Lots of guys there, including some pretty fast center fielders. Uh, who have unbelievable range, who will catch pretty much everything. And it's weird that we were all told to work the ball back up the middle because uh, arguably the greatest hitter of all time, Ted Williams, uh, was a big proponent of not doing that. He said he tried to pull every single ball he ever hit, pull it in the air. Every single swing, his objective, if he could, was to pull it in the air. And if Ted Williams said that, I think that should be good enough for just about anybody. Yeah, Teddy Ballgame had a pretty good career. Um, when you think about becoming a dead pull hitter, the way the shifts work, especially for left-handed hitters, now we're seeing, you know, for the first time really last year, we saw way more shifts for right-handed hitters, but it's just that adage of, okay, you try and pull everything, but the problem is everybody on defense, you got to hit it over them, you got to hit them through them, and it's just so hard to do. Yeah, well, that's the tricky part because just because you want to try to pull the ball doesn't mean that you could become a guy who just sells out to try to pull everything. I think we could all think of hitters throughout baseball history in the major leagues today who you sort of view as selling out for power, selling out to pull the ball. Uh, the first goal is to hit the ball in the air, no matter which direction it goes. You want to hit the ball in the air. We know definitively today that hitting the ball in the air is your best way of getting on base. It is always only better hit the ball on the ground. Then when it comes to pulling the ball, it has a lot to do with pitch selection, right? Hitters going up there looking for pitches they know they could pull, pitches on the inner half of the plate. It also has to do with your swing path. You hear a lot of modern hitters today, including twin hitters, say, My, what I want to do is try to hit the ball out front, in front of the plate. We used to hear a lot in our in another sort of childhood adage, let the ball get deep. You want to hit the ball deep in the strike zone. That's, that's really no longer the way it's taught. Now modern hitters are trying to get their ba the barrel of their bat out in front of the plate, hit the ball out in front of the plate, and that also allows them to hit it in the air and hit it to the pull side. Do you think we'll ever get back to guys trying to 
you know, instead of just grip it and rip it, home run or strikeout, do you think we'll at some point see contact hitting be more in vogue again? I think there's always going to be a place for, you know, the Joey Votto's of the world, guys that are really able to hit the ball to all the fields and not necessarily sell out for power. But more important, I think what's going to happen eventually is there's going to be a value on just on not striking out. Like there are a lot of, there are great power hitters out there, great hitters that don't strike out a lot. They exist. Uh, They're rare, hard to come by, but they do exist. We see them in the major leagues. Right now it's sort of in vogue to say strikeouts don't matter. They're no different than any other out. I don't think that's going to be a, a line of thinking that necessarily lasts forever. Clearly, the stigma against strikeouts was wrong. Strikeouts were not nearly as bad as they were once believed to be. Uh, maybe we swung too far the other direction, gone from strikeouts are terrible, they're the worst thing in the world, to, oh, strikeouts really don't matter, where the truth is probably somewhere in between those two things on the spectrum. You know, the value of a strikeout has a lot to do with the situation, right? A strikeout with nobody on base, two outs, really makes no difference. A strikeout with a runner on third and one out makes a huge difference. And that just sort of gets back to being a smart hitter and, and changing your approach to the situation. I think there's always going to be a place for that in the game. So there were two big controversies in Major League Baseball, and it seems like the Houston Astros – the, the actual baseball got off the hook when everybody started worrying about the Astros because that's a legitimate question. What ball were we using during the regular season? What ball were we using during the postseason? And what's the ball going to be like in 2020? We've stopped talking about the baseball controversy because we're all just in on the Astros at this point. Yeah, I'm sure the ball controversy will come back in 2020 if they continue to fly the way they did in 2019, for sure, you know, what's, what's tricky about the ball is because you, it's just we don't know, right? In 2017, the ball was exploding off bats. In 2018, it, it did pair back a little bit. There were still a lot of home runs, but uh, it did seem a little bit more normal. And then 2019, we know what 2019 was like. It was completely insane. And we don't know what 2020 is going to be like. You know, there's been two studies released on this in the last, like, 18, 20 months. Uh, there's going to at some point be another report. Those scientists are still working on this just issue. Cause there's still a lot that they and we don't know about why the ball's behaving the way it is. We know some things. We know that the seam height of seams has something to do with it. We know that batter behavior has played a role. But there's still a lot still to be uncovered. And I, and I know for sure that, that that committee of scientists is still very much on this case. Yeah, it's, it's the whole thing about transparency with the baseball, with the Houston Astros, you've been all over this thing with the Houston Astros. Do you buy what baseball is selling with Houston? And, hey, it's just 2017. Huh. I think that's all they were able to prove. <laughs> and that's really what this comes down to, right? This is an investigation. It's not a court of law, but still, in any investigation, you only could sort of do what you know to be true. And uh, clearly, I, I believe MLB put out what it knew. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's all that's happened, right? I mean, there's plenty of players out there that continue to insist the Astros were cheating in 2019. Are we ever going to know for sure? I don't know. Maybe not. But I do know that the Washington Nationals in the World Series 
were putting down multiple signs with nobody on base when they were at Minute Maid Park. So that tells us that the players certainly thought something was going on in 2019. The league couldn't show it definitively, uh, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And I think even in Major League Baseball, I think acknowledges that. But just because it couldn't prove something doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just meant they couldn't get anyone to admit it. Do you think with Luno, Hinch, Beltron, Cora all losing their jobs, we don't know what their history will be like from here on out, if they will get jobs again. But do you think with baseball making Houston the sacrificial lamb, a lot of people in the game think there's multiple teams that were doing this. Do you think there's now enough deterrent that everybody's going to stop doing it? I think the rules that are going to be put in place are going to have a big impact, right? We, we have reason to believe that baseball and the players union are going to come up with some new rules that are going to, that's going to severely limit the access to live video during games. And I think that will have an impact. Frankly, that's a change that I 100% support. I just don't quite understand why live video needs to be part of the game. Video is homework. Once the game starts, you're now taking the test. You shouldn't, have, you shouldn't need to go back and look at your at-bats or go study the pitcher you're about to see. No, you do all that before the game. So I'd be totally fine with this getting rid of video during the game. I just don't view it as something that needs to be part of the sport. You don't see other sports typically players getting to go watch video of the opposing team during the game. So I think that will have an impact. Uh, will there still be teams looking to push the boundaries of the rules? Yeah, teams have been trying to to push the boundaries of the rules since literally the beginning of baseball and every sport, and that's going to continue forever. I think what you hope is that you don't have another situation like the Astros where they didn't just sort of go up to the line and maybe fudge it a little bit. They kind of erased the line, walked 100 <laughs> yards, and drew a new one. That's what you don't want. <laughs> they were leaping over it. <laughs> exactly. That, that's, that's the problem. Uh, teams kind of just sort of finagling with that line. I think we kind of accept that as a, as a fan of the sport. Like, pitchers may have some there under their caps, and we're kind of all okay with it. Everyone's sort of in on it. Uh, but when it becomes what the Astros are doing, where it was just so blatant, and so, like, clearly against the spirit of the rules, uh, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, they went so far past the line that when they turned around, they couldn't see the line anymore. And, 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 right, they were, like, in another stadium. And, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, Jared, they had to have known not everybody's going to stay on this team. They're going to go play for other teams. Like, how did they not think of this? It tells you what they believed the, to be the power of sort of the Omerta code in baseball clubhouses, right? They just didn't think that anyone would rat on them. Uh, you know, and yeah, I'm sure there's some players out there that didn't quite grasp what, how wrong what they were doing was. I'm not trying to defend any players, but I do think there's something to be said to the fact that, well, look, Alex Cora clearly knew about this, and he's a coach. Carlos Beltran clearly knew about this, and he's like the 20-year veteran Hall of Famer. If you're a young player just coming up to the major league, like some of these Astros were, I sort of understand how you could fall into the trap of, well, this doesn't seem right, but if, if these guys say it's okay, well, then I guess it, I guess this is how it goes up here in the major league. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not excusing those guys. I'm just saying I understand how that could happen when you're a young guy surrounded by your leaders and your sort of team veteran telling you one thing, even if it goes against what you previously thought. 
I know it's not out yet, but I'm all about helping people in our game. And you have a new book coming out called Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution. Tell us about your new book. Well, it does talk about, uh, has a lot about a former A in Josh Donaldson, which I guess might be a sore subject for A's fans, considering how great he became when he left Oakland. Uh, but Swing Kings is the story of a group of hitters, great hitters, superstar hitters that we all know, guys like Josh Donaldson, J.D. Martinez, and Justin Turner, Aaron Judge, who were on the fringes of baseball, sort of seemed to be on their way out. Their career was really going anywhere. And they uh, changed that in a very strange way, which was by changing their swing with the help of some pretty fascinating people. These coaches who had no baseball experience themselves, sort of mad scientists on the fringes of the industry who taught them a better way to go about their business. And, you know, to, to bring this back for full circle, essentially what these guys were all taught was exactly what the Minnesota Twins are doing now. Clearly, what was once on the fringes five years ago, six years ago, even three or four years ago, has become the mainstream. And the books of Chronicles, the evolution of that story. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it because, and you also see it on the pitching side, where we have all these different we have all these different gurus that these players are going to, and sometimes it doesn't make it easy for hitting coaches or pitching coaches once you know your player comes back to spring training and they've switched everything. And but it, I can't wait to read your book because that is the new thing: these coaches that are outside of the teams that are helping form and change baseball. It's a really fascinating dynamic, and and what it shows, I think, is. Uh, we, as an, as an industry, the baseball industry, has not been very welcome and open to outsiders. It's been this real sort of tradition-based approach to how everything is taught. Hitting and pitching coaches taught their players the way that their hitting and pitching coach taught them, who were taught, who sort of taught exactly what their hitting and pitching coach taught them before. It was this sort of unending cycle without innovation, without change, without growth. It took people on the, on the outside to look at it objectively and say, hey, there's a better way. We're not doing this right. We're not using all the tools available at our disposal. We're not using the data. We're not using the video. We're not approaching this sort of scientifically and objectively enough by just relying on our gut. And it sort of reshaped the way coaching staffs are made up. You know, not to spoil anything, but a lot of the people in my book, these coaches, when I started working on it two years ago, were outsiders. And now many of them are now working for major league teams. That's just happened in the last two years. God, isn't it crazy from front offices to now coaching staffs, people who never played, never played at a high level, have really high-level jobs in our game? It's the next phase of Moneyball, right? Moneyball was largely about outsiders coming into front offices, right? And now those, those outsiders, those people who were once outsiders, they no longer are, they're open to, to other ways, right? Because they were outsiders once. And they say, well... If bringing outsiders into the front office worked, why wouldn't it work in the dugout? It's sort of the next phase, the next evolution of that idea of sort of changing the way baseball is sort of thought of. And now you're seeing uh, these coaches who are not getting the job just because they were former players who spread with the manager, but because they could prove definitively that they're bringing something to the table. And not every coach has worked out. Not all of them have been successful. Not every player who has tried to change his swing has 
had success, but many have, and uh, and it's going to continue. This is a trend that's sort of becoming the norm in baseball, and I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Keep doing a great job at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, when the book comes out, we'd love to have you back on to promote it. And, and I always, yeah, let's do it. And I always like watching it on, on the MLB Network. I think you do a great job when you're on there. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Ned, welcome back to A's Cast with Chris Townsend. How are you? Hey, doing good, Chris. So it's this time of the year. You know, I, I know you're doing the stuff with the Sharks, but uh, it's this time of year, spring training, such a special time in baseball. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. It's, uh, you know, it's a long spring training. There's 35, 40 games, but uh, you wait all winter to get back, and uh, no matter what type of year you had, you're always looking forward to it. You know, I, I think about Christian Yelich, who it looks like uh, they're going to add a couple, they're going to add about seven years to his existing deal. So it'll be about nine years for $215 million. And it's just, it's one of those deals where he likes Milwaukee, he wants to stay in Milwaukee. They're a small market team that's going to keep their superstar. Just how good is this deal for the game of baseball? Well, I think it's always good when a player, especially a, a great player like, uh, like Yelich is, uh, can stay with one team. I think it's um, it's a little bit rare. You don't have many Tony Gwynns or Cal Ripken Juniors out there anymore that that have a chance to do that. Uh, but I do think it's good for the game. I, you know, if you look back and. You know, people never like to look back that deep. But if you look back a long time, you know, players before before free agency, which obviously changed the game and uh, was something that was probably long overdue, uh, players always stay with the same team. But uh, today it's a, it's a different dynamic. So I do think any time you have a chance to, to hang on to somebody for the duration of their career, draft them, sign them, develop them, and then let them become uh, major league players. And then in his case, uh, obviously one of the best in the game. I think it's good for Milwaukee. Well, I think about the Mike Trout deal and $435 million, and now Mookie Betts traded over to the Dodgers, uh, and obviously the Dodgers don't want to consider him a rental. If Mookie Betts has a great year, what do you think his value will be on the open market? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I, don't I don't really know what it would be. I mean, you, you, people talk about him being – one of the top four or five players in the game. Some people go uh, as far as to say he's uh, second to Trout. Uh, obviously, that's all conjecture. That's all opinion. I think a lot of it will depend on, on market and, and who's interested. Uh, you do have some teams that uh, that usually go over the, the luxury tax year after year. Boston, of course, did for a long time, drop back down. Um, that changes the dynamic quite a bit. Had, had Boston signed Mookie Betts, uh, which is kind of what probably led to this deal. That deal would have probably cost them between 75 and $80 million a year when you add the luxury tax to it. So it uh, probably depends on teams that have been below the tax a little bit. Dodgers have been below it for a few years now, uh, maybe going over it this year for the first time in a while. So I do think that that is also part of the, uh, the dynamic that will lead to this. Uh, I don't think uh, many teams uh, can really – go after a player of that caliber at that at that pay level so i do think that the market is limited but it's big market teams and it's teams that that uh, have a chance to compete and have a chance to win year in year out yeah la is all about stars and that's whether it's the lakers or the dodgers it's what it's all about and then i think how much will if let's say they do get a deal done with mookie Betts, how do you think that affects the negotiations with your reigning mvp cody bellinger 
Well, <laughs> that's a good question. It's uh, you know, he's obviously a very, very talented player. I've known Cody since he was 17, 18 years old, and uh, been great to see him continue to get better and better and to strive for greatness. And uh, uh, really got there last year in so many ways. Five tool player, really a six tool because of how he thinks the game. I think that every year it's interesting to see what the top talents uh, do receive when they do become free agents. Cody represented by by Scott Boris, who uh, had himself a tremendous year this past season, signing uh, Rendon and, and Garrett Cole and Keuchel and on and on. I mean, he had a tremendous year as far as uh, representation goes. So uh, anytime you're, you're dealing with Scott, you know you're going to be uh, expected to, to reach a, a level that in some cases has never been reached before or uh, to have something to it that is uh, is special. You know, Strasburg was another one this past year that he had that uh, opted out of his deal and then and then signed for a much longer term and and much higher dollars uh, going back to the team he was at. So it'll be interesting to see. And um, you know, there's all different negotiations are so so interesting all the time. I think that there's a um, there's a a chance, and I, I'll, I'll take the Dodgers out of it though. But whenever you do sign one one star player, one great star player, that does take a little bit, in some cases, a little bit of pressure off a team as well, because they have, they do have a talented, talented player, and I and I think that the the worst situation is when you're a big market club and you you don't lose one, but you lose two or you lose three all at one time. That's that's tough to do. As you do sign players, uh, I think that it helps fortify your team, and I think that you you love to keep your group together, like the the, the Brewers just did with Yelich. But I do think you also have to be prudent and wise with how you spend it and for how long you spend it. Most of the time in my career, it wasn't necessarily the amount of money per year that uh, that uh, stopped me. It was really the term. It always seems to be a year or two longer than a team is comfortable with. So. Uh, that's another factor. There's, all, there's so many different factors to it. It's not just it's not as uh, as cut and dry as it may seem. Yeah, star players can be so important for organizations and what your organization stands for. And of course, when you were in San Francisco with Brian Sabian, you had the star of stars and Barry Bonds. Just talk about what that star player means to the fan base and means to the organization. Well, Barry was uh, was obviously a tremendous player in San Francisco. Uh, probably people always ask me, I've been at it almost 40 years, you know, who was the best I've seen. And position player-wise, a player I was around a lot, uh, nobody was as talented as Barry. Uh, Barry, to talk about the five tools of Cody Bellinger I mentioned and the sixth tool of intellect, you know, Barry had it all, too, uh, at even uh, a higher level. And uh, somebody that uh, I think I did two deals with uh, Barry and his representatives while while I was there. I think a two-year deal, and then uh, had <laughs> had the pleasure to do the deal after he hit 73 home runs. He was a free agent <laughs> after that season, so timing worked out pretty good for for me at that point in time. But uh, as you look back at the history of that franchise in San Francisco, the the uh, almost defection to Tampa. And, and all that, and then the signing of Peter McGowan, Peter McGowan and Larry Bear and ownership did with, with Barry. Uh, that was a year before I came to San Francisco, but you could see that it started to turn, and I think signing him was a, a major a major factor in uh, in the new ballpark. It was a ma- It's not even a new ballpark anymore, but in that ballpark being built in the year 2000. 
I think his his presence, his ability, and the commitment that ownership had shown by signing somebody who had kind of grew up near the organization with his dad, uh, the great Bobby Bonds, and then uh, had a chance to bring him from Pittsburgh. I think that made a major impact on the city, on the fan base, and on the commitment that ownership made and that the fans made in return. I think it's a great example of, of how, it can, how it can turn that way. And then that he stayed the, the rest of his career there, also indicative of, of keeping your, your star player, even though he wasn't drafted by San Francisco uh, out of college. Uh, he was still somebody that had, had kind of grown up there and kind of had a little bit of a favorite son approach to it. So uh, it's a good point you make. He was uh, very instrumental, I think, in a lot of the success of the organization, not just the home runs, the batting average, and the stolen bases, and the great defensive play in left field, but also in, I think, keeping the franchise there and making it one of the one of the crown jewels of baseball. Ned, I don't think a lot of people really understand what a brilliant mind Barry Bonds has with baseball. He's brilliant. He... Um, to me, he was as close to genius as a hitter as I've seen. Um, I, I talk about it all the time when asked, uh, you know, who was the best, as I said. And, and he, he saw a game differently. I think the greatest athletes among us see the game in slow motion. And uh, we watch a game, it's almost like watching a movie. They see it frame by frame. And I, I would see him do things I, I've never seen a player do uh, before or or after uh, people I watched on a daily basis, where you can really see the intellect at work, genius, genius at what he did, understood the game, understood the strike zone. Would rarely, rarely good at get after a pitch out of the strike zone. Would rarely argue a call. So he he always he was always in a good spot, and just a tremendous, tremendous gifted athlete, but also really, really smart. And somebody who understood hitting and understood the game and the nuances of the game, uh, the best I've seen, the best player I've seen on a daily basis in, in 40 years. Hey, Ned, before we let you go, how, how's the new gig with the Sharks going? It's been great. Um, it's been a, a great experience. Uh, I love the organization and the people I work with. Uh, obviously, we've uh, had a bit of a, a tough year with injuries and a little bit of a slow start. Uh, but been picking it up lately. It beat some really good teams the last four weeks. I think uh, brighter days are ahead. But it's it's been a great a great opportunity for me. I've spent probably well as many years as I've watched baseball. I've watched hockey with as much interest and in, in digging deep into it in the last twenty twenty five years. I've spent a lot of time with coaches and and GMs and and scouts, kind of digging deeper to to really f- find it out. And I think. Chris, when you think about an athlete, you think about hands, how the hands work, how the feet work, how the mind works. I think that transcends any sport. And so I, I think the adjustment for me has been uh, uh, refreshing in a lot of ways, but also uh, something that I, I feel confident in, in doing because I've, I've been watching ath- athletes for so many years with a not just a glance, but certainly with a, with a deep uh, understanding of it and, and an understanding that I always wanted to get better at it and to try and figure out how it all worked and, and how players think the psychology of it all. So it's been a tremendous experience. Uh, I like the way we played the last few games, especially the last couple here. Big game against T.O. last night and Pittsburgh over the weekend before that. So things are getting better. Uh, 
bright days are ahead, and it's a, it's a great organization. I'm honored that they gave me an opportunity. Yeah, Doug Wilson down. There's a lot of good people with the San Jose Sharks. It's really, it's really a lot of fine people. You know, most people don't get inside the organization, but having been around the Sharks for a long time, they got a lot of quality people in that front office and working for the team. You know, I've had other opportunities uh, in, in, in the NHL, um, but it meant a lot to me to be able to work for people who I, I really know and respect and uh, admire, and that we have a uh, have always had a, a real solid, uh, not just a friendship, but relationship where we could challenge thought process. I think that's how you get, get good. I think that was probably a strength that Brian and I had in San Francisco for about 11 years where we would challenge the thought process to to see how we can make everybody as good as they can be. I think it's incumbent upon leadership uh, to do that. And uh, when I started talking to to Doug Sr. and Doug Jr. and Joe Will, um, you know, I'd known them for a long, long time. I've known Doug Jr. probably 15 years and Doug Sr. probably 25 years. And and, and Joe probably close to that from my San Francisco days because Joe was in San San, Diego, uh, San Jose uh, well before as, as long as well as uh, Doug Senior. So uh, knowing them and knowing how they approach the game and and how uh, respectful they are and how honorable and just good people they are, plus great hockey people. Uh, when they came and we talked about it a little more than a year ago, now I thought you know what this is a not only a great opportunity in a sport that I love, but with people that I have so much respect and admiration for, and I, and I know who they are. And they're genuine and they're real. And to me, at this stage of my career, in my life, um, that's what I seek. Ned, you're the best. We always appreciate the time. Good luck the rest of the NHL season, and we'll talk to you, la- talk to you later on All down right. the line. All right, Chris. Thanks for the time today. All the best. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Happy Wednesday, Foss. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Who do you have to tell to play that open? Who, who are you talking to there that play it? Oh, that's a, the commander. We're the only two people left here at Ho-Ho Camp Park. Well, I, I figured you're still in the Great Valley. It's a beautiful day. You may not want to leave. You might not want to leave. Are you going to be there tomorrow? Of course we're going to be here. I'm, I'm going to be here uh, all the way through Sunday. I just want to make sure. Is Cody going to be there tomorrow? No, Cody flies back tonight. Yeah, see, I missed him. I was going to try to see him, but I've been uh, I've been catching up on work, so I'm missing. Sorry, Cody. I'll see you back at the Coliseum. But anyway, how you doing, Tony? Uh, we're doing great, and it, and it's it's always weird when you're at a ballpark and no one's here and there's no game going on. But this is where we had to broadcast from, and uh, right. we've just been, you know, we 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 interviewed uh, the play by one of the play by play guys for the Dodgers. So, and the A's are taking on the Dodgers tomorrow, and we were just really right. reviewing the team. Wow, Foss, they're stacked. I mean, the Dodgers. I mean, their lineup with now Mookie Betts is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting uh, and reading a little bit about David Price's comment about how much the media attention or lack of uh, in L.A. versus Boston is really tremendous. And and Mookie Betts said after their press conference at Dodger Stadium where he and David Price, they walked off and said, this is it? That's it? So, you know, I think from that standpoint, uh, they're probably going to enjoy it. But it is a very good lineup. 
But I have to wonder, I know the great Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, kind of nixed the deal with Jock Peterson going to the Angels, and now he's back. So they've got a little bit of a crowded outfield. But, you know, what did you think, uh, what, a few days ago when Trevor Bauer pitched against the Dodgers and he told, him, told them when he was pitching every pitch that he was throwing? He gave that sign out. Here comes a fastball. Here comes a changeup. What did you think about that? I thought it was absolutely fabulous. And was it? I, I wonder, and these are all just rumors, but there's rumors, Ray, that there were other teams that possibly were doing this. And the rumors are one of them could have been the Dodgers. Maybe Trevor Bauer knows that. That's why he did it to him. Well, that's a possibility, but I'd rather go with the other side pretty much saying, because Trevor Bauer has been very outspoken about what the Astros did when he was pitching with Cleveland, he kind of said something during a game in which he was pitching against them at uh, Minute Maid Park. And then, of course, in the National League, he's not going to play against them this year. But I think that might have been. But, you know, Tony, I'll be honest with you. Watching him do that, I've always said, and you've heard me say it before, when you know what's coming, it's not the fact that you're going to hit it. It's the fact that you're going to lay off a pitcher's pitch. And whenever it came out that uh, Clayton Kershaw in game five threw, what, 50, was it 41 or 51 sliders and curveballs and not one swing and a miss of those pitches, you don't see that with that type of a curve and slider that Clayton Kershaw has. And especially with a changeup. If you know a changeup is coming, you're not going to be out on the front foot. But if you're looking fastball, which most hitters do, that body's going to move forward. Here comes a changeup. You're going to be out on the front foot. You hope to check your swing. But in watching Trevor Bauer, and, and the one hitter they showed, a left-hand hitter, I don't know who it was, he ended up flying out to center field. But I thought it was more of, okay, I know what's coming. I'm going to look my, for my pitch, but it doesn't mean I'm going to hit it. I still think it's what you don't swing at is what helps you the most. And if you're a hitter, and, and I talked to someone last night that said, man, these guys are turning around a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. I said, well, if they knew what was coming, they had a pretty good idea. They could get the bat hit out in front and be able to turn on a 98 fastball. Otherwise, if you're staying back just a hair, you're not going to be able to catch up to a ball like that. But, uh, you know, I I agree with what you said. There's more teams than the Astros. There's still no punishment or nothing said about the uh, Red Sox. I haven't seen anything. Has anything come out yet? No, nothing's come out about the Red Sox, but breaking news in Major League Baseball, uh, it is official. Go ahead, Cody, announce it. Well, actually, it's just saying, hey, Foss, by the way, how are you? Good, Cody. How you doing? I'm sorry I missed you, buddy. Uh, it's okay. I'll see you back in Oakland, so we only got a couple more weeks. Okay. But uh, apparently Chris Sale not expected to have Tommy John surgery at this point. So mm-hmm. so I'm curious to see because he they're waiting to get the, they were doing like three different reviews on his uh, medicals to see what's going to happen. That's a tough blow for them yeah. if he can't pitch because uh, they already lost Mookie and their pitching staff already isn't that great. And David Price. And Price, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, no, you're no, that that's a great call because, uh, you know, and, and I, I talked to a friend of mine in Boston. I said, Hey, how much did your ticket prices go down? He said, No, 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 they never go down, they always go up. And even with trading Mookie Betts and David Price, and now with Sale, you know, they just I, I think this year is the first year of his long term contract for a day for uh, Chris Sale, the extension I think kicks in this year. Um, and so I, you know, it, it's a tough blow, uh, but you know, when they start talking like that, just like. Severino, and, and Tony, I was going to bring this up as well, about spring training. We always talk about health. Look at the Yankees. Look at what has happened to the Yankees just in spring training. A few other hitters, they'll come back. But Severino 
and they had uh, who was the kid that was suspended that pitched well last year. Uh, he suspended for like half of the season, something like that. So even though you, you look at a roster, you look at, at, at a potential lineup, those guys have to stay healthy. And what it looks like right now is that spring training is that time. You know, A.J. Puck was shut down, um, you know, for a little bit of a rest because of a shoulder issue. Let's hope that's all it is and the rest will take care of it. But, you know, you're seeing around baseball that players come to spring training. They say, well, how come it, it's spring training? A lot of that, Tony and Cody, is because in the offseason, you work on certain things for four or five months, but until you get into baseball activities, you really don't know when you throw a pitch as a pitcher if the arm is going to be affected or as a hitter, do you tweak a sign like it happened with uh, Stephen Piscotty? So little things can happen during spring training that you wonder why they didn't happen during the offseason. That's usually because of no baseball activities happening during the offseason. It's getting your body in shape strength-wise, I guess, to get ready for the spring and be ready to go to do the things that you have to do to play the game of baseball. And I thought it was very refreshing, Zach Greinke coming out and talking about an uptick in his velocity this spring. And he said he did less working out and he did more just throwing the baseball. Isn't that amazing when you kind of go an old-school approach and now velocity's ticking up? How about Mike Marshall back in the 70s when he's with the Dodgers and he made, what, 101 appearances out of bullpen? He threw more innings than guys today throw as a starter. I think he's over 200 innings. So his philosophy was throw the baseball. So I'm not surprised to see that because I think a lot of times you can bulk yourself up with a position player or or pitcher, but I think especially a pitcher, you know, you, you can do this weight work, but the last thing you want to do is tighten your body up in the chest and the arms. You want to have the elasticity, as they call it, to be able to have, in the case of Raleigh Fingers, the the old rubber arm syndrome where you could pick up a baseball and you could throw no matter how much you've thrown in the past. But I think from Zach Greinke's standpoint, throwing, probably stretching it out, throwing in the outfield, throwing long, so that when he gets on the mound, it's a little bit different. Let's not forget that, you know, he's, he's up in the years as far as the pitching and number of innings that he's pitched. But he also talked about improving his slider. He's got a great curve. He's got a very good fastball. Now the slider, changeup, he's a complete pitcher. The Astros are going to need him because Verlander's there and Greinke's there, but Garrett Cole's not. So it's going to be interesting what, ha- what happens there. But, no, I agree with you, Tony, that if you throw the baseball, you're going to improve your arm strength. And in the case of throwing the long distance, and you'll see pitchers doing that, when they get on the mound at 60 feet 6 inches, then all of a sudden it's, it's, it's a much shorter throw for them and they do have the uptick in the velocity. We are going to get an update on everything this Friday with the general manager, David Force, for the David Force Show. But I just I got an opinion here, Foss, that if we are going to limit the innings pitched by these young pitchers, when we're talking about Jesus Lazardo and A.J. Puck, let's just call it they can go five innings. Do I want, them, does, does, do I want this dynamic arm going the first five innings? or the last five innings so he can really factor in a win or a loss for the ball club. You get five innings, Foss. You want the first five or the last five for Jesus Lazardo? Well, I'm going to go another step right in, in what you're talking about. If you're going to limit innings, why not start them in the bullpen so they are available in the back half of the season and postseason? Because let, let's say 30 starts, you, you've got to be conservative and say 30 starts. Five innings, that's 150 innings. You're going to go pretty fast with that. But there was a pitcher, and I'm trying to remember who it was with Atlanta, 
who they started in the bullpen because they wanted him available in the second half and for postseason. And it worked out well for them. I think he ended up in the Kansas City organization. I'll remember his name. But sometimes you have to think about long-term. And remember when Steve Str- Steven Strasburg was shut down um, a few years ago and the Nationals said, well, we're going to be in postseason every year. We just want to shut him down now so he's healthy. That wasn't the case because they weren't in postseason all the time. They did win the World Series this past year, and he's a superstar. But sometimes when you talk about shutting guys down, that means that you've thrown all these innings up front so you get down towards the end of the season and postseason, which is the most important, the guy's not available. So to answer your question, I would rather go first five because you don't know what's going to happen in the last four. But if you can start Lazardo and Puck for five innings and they can shut off the opposition, you've got the middle guys in Petit and Bassett who started in, in place of Puck, which is another factor because he's the sixth man of the rotation. And I think he's going to be huge for the A's this year because let's say Puck and Lazardo go short. He could pitch the middle two, two innings or three to get to the setup guy in the closer. And then Petit can do the same thing. Soria can do the same thing. So uh, there's a lot of options, but I think to answer your question, I'd be interested to uh, find out what Scott Emerson and David Forrest and Billy and Bob Melvin say. But I would say they're going to be starters. Let them start the first five. If you need to pull them because of pitch counts, you want to take care of them, let it do that and turn it over to the bullpen, which most pitchers don't throw beyond six innings anyway, Tommy. If they go seven, that's a luxury because there's so few, if any, complete games on a roster. So I would get the maximum out of them as a starter. Let them prepare in the bullpen, go through the routine and start five innings, six innings maybe, get them out of the game, rest them five days, let them start again, or miss a start, Chris Bassett can step in and make a start so you can do that as well. So a lot of options, and I think Scott Emerson and Bob Melvin, two of the best at making sure that those guys stay rested and they get the maximum out of them. Yeah, I, I hear you. It's, uh, and I'm going to ask Emo. I'll have Emo on tomorrow, and we'll have uh, Forrest on Friday. I'll throw I'll throw this at him and see what they have to say. But these young pitchers, they're very valuable. And as you mentioned, the versatility of Chris Bassett, and not only how well he's thrown the ball, but the versatility to be able to start going the bullpen. It's just it's huge for Bob Melvin. You know, I think we talked about it either last week or the week before. Well, it wouldn't have been last week because I think you were back east. No, no, the week before you were back east. So, But we have talked about how important and valuable Chris Bassett's going to be for this club because, like you said, the versatility. And I thought yesterday was a perfect example that Bob Melvin and, and, and Scott Emerson said, all right, uh, A.J. Puck's got a little bit of stiffness in his arm. Let's shut him down for a few days. So here's Chris Bassett, steps right in because they're building him up to be a starter but it also helps when he's in the bullpen if those five are okay. But I think the option the A's are going to have and, and do have with Chris Bassett, I think is tremendous for this organization just because it takes the load off some of the young pitchers. Let's not forget Manaya either because he only pitched the last month plus the, uh, the wild card for, what, four or five starts. So they're going to monitor his innings as well. So three of the five you're probably going to be looking at and taking care of, and that's where Chris Bassett's going to step in. You remember when Tony La Russa had the starting rotation of Dave Stewart, Bob Welsh, Mike Moore, Storm Davis, he would alternate Stu, let's say today, and two days later, it's Welsh. Why? Because those two guys could go deep in the game. He would not deplete his bullpen. He started the other two knowing that they might go five, six, seven. He'd have a well-rested bullpen. So you can, you can kind of manipulate your starters. Let, let's say you put fires 
and then one of the young kids in the middle, and then you have Montas who can go deep in the game. You know, and you can work it that way. You do have five starters, so you're going to probably have to have back-to-back a couple of young guys. But I, I think what you're going to do is have a strong bullpen that can take over when the young guys have to come out of the game, whether it's monitoring their innings or you may have to go to them because they're not pitching as well. And let's not forget that 30, 35 starts, unfortunately, you don't have somebody that's going to be top of his game on every one of those starts. Great minds think alike because that's how I set it up, Ray. I went Fires 1, I went Lazardo 2, I went Montas 3 because I think I'm going to get innings out of him. Then I go Manaya, and then the 5 spot is either Bassett or A.J. Puck. Exactly. No, I agree 100% because that does allow Bob Melvin and, and Scott Emerson because you don't want to overwork the bullpen. Uh, you know, the, the old saying is you, you don't want to kill your closer in, in April not having them available strong in September. But you need the full complement of the bullpen. I think the A's have that in the guys that they have down in the bullpen. So I think that's going to be a plus. But, you know, the starters, I think going in, and, and maybe it's a meeting, or at least Scott Emerson says to the bullpen, be ready, guys, because this is kind of how we're going to plan it. But I think the monitoring as much of the relievers as the starters is going to be critical for this ball club going forward. And I, and I think, you know, we're just talking pitching, but the defense, I thought what Lazardo said, and you know, he, when he pitched against Frankie Lindor the other day in Vegas on, on Sunday and threw 98 first four pitchers and then kind of settled down. But, but you know, he's learned, and, and talking to him as we did on Saturday on NBC Sports, he talked about how his failures have helped him become a better pitcher. That's tremendous to hear. So he also talked about maybe I don't need to throw 98 every pitch. Maybe I throw 95, and when I need 98, I have it to be able to do. Another 10% of the tank. Those are young uh, things that you love to hear from veterans, but how about a youngster who's never really given the opportunity to pitch at the major league level on a consistent basis? And here he is talking about uh, pitching like Mike Messina. I remember he talked about I never give my maximum effort on every pitch. I save 10% of the tank when I need it. So as a hitter, you see 90, 90, 90, all of a sudden here comes 94. Whoa, where would that come from? Well, that's what a pitcher can utilize. But if a pitcher goes out and throws 95, 98 every pitch, he's going to be gone because the body and the makeup is not going to allow it to be able to be doing that kind of uh, velocity on fastball. So I, I think what Lizardo has done in learning has been tremendous, and that's just the beginning of a great career for him. Well, you, you got these teams that are, are relying so much on their bullpen that when they actually do get to the postseason, like we saw with New York, like we saw with the Dodgers, by the time they got to the postseason and they're not getting a lot of innings out of their starters, those bullpens were burnt out by the time they got into postseason. No, you're exactly right. And, again, I go back to La Russa, and at the end of a season, you could look at every reliever in the bullpen, and they had the same number of appearances, and most of them had the same number of innings except for in the case of Dennis Eckersley, who was the closer. But I agree with you because you have to almost say to the starters, don't go out there assuming five. Go out there assume nine. If you go five or six, that's great. But you, you, I mean, you, don't, want to, uh, you, you don't want to take it so, so easy that, that you're not giving your maximum effort. You need to be able to pitch the way you're supposed to pitch, but also think about the length of the game and taking care of the bullpen. I love to hear a starter say, bullpen needs a rest today. I'm going to go nine. I'm going to go seven or eight and, and go to the closer. Let everybody else rest. I've had managers at times will tell the bullpen, the guys, relievers, stay on the bench. 
because we're not going to use you. Starter, you've got the whole game. What? Yeah, it's your game. I'm going to rest my bullpen. And, and, you know, sometimes you need to do that. It's tough to do it in these days because in the case of the A's, they had three pitchers, three lefties, who either are young, coming off injuries, or have not pitched a lot. So you have to do that. But I really think that what Bob Melvin and Scott Emerson do very well is that they know who's pitched today, who's available today, who's available tomorrow, and they don't wear them out. And sometimes the guy has to come out of the bullpen, maybe in a role that he's not expected to be in, and has to do that. That makes him feel better to be in that role, but it also takes care of, let's say, a petite or somebody else in that capacity that doesn't have are not available that particular day. We could be looking at not one, but two two-way players for the Angels because we know how good <laughs> Shohei Otani is, and now they got this guy, Jared Walsh. You know, yeah. I, I, I've been, I kicked this around the other day. If Trout's making $37 million, right? If you let's yeah. let's say you get a player, hypothetical here, you get a player who is a frontline starter and hits in the middle of your order, and he's really good at both, and it's 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 like the little league thing. I'm not I'm not sitting down. I'm playing every single game. I'm going to hit and pitch. If you have a guy like that, Foss, what would he be worth? <laughs> well, it's it's double the salary that he's making, basically. In the case of Shohei Otani, I mean, he's had the, the Tommy John, he's had knee, he's had different injuries. But assuming he comes back strongly and he's able to pitch every fifth day if they want him to, and he's able to hit. How about Joe Madden said, on the days he's pitching, I'm considering letting him hit ninth. How about that? No DH. I, I mean, seriously, I, I don't understand exactly. why they're babying him so much. Where he can't, he's going to have the day off before he pitches. He's going to have the day off after he pitches. Yeah. Why? Let him play. I, I bet. I bet he wants to play. Yes. Well, I think initially his first year they did that because they were afraid that he would get hurt and it would mess up the rotation. I, that's what I heard because I, I questioned that same thing. You know, why isn't he available? You know, and why isn't he playing? We DHing so. Um, I, I think there's a lot to that, but with these new rule changes, like with Jared Walsh, I, I saw him. We saw him last year. I question where he's going to play on that team unless he's going to be, um, unless he's going to be just strictly a reliever. Because uh, I don't know, he's sure he's a two-way player, but you know they've got a very good offensive team. The Angels do. So um, if he's in the bullpen, and they could use him, but don't you have to designate under the new rules? You have to designate a two-way player, whether he's going to be a pitcher or a position player. Isn't that one of the new rules coming up in 2020? Yeah, it says in order to appear as a pitcher without counting towards a club's pitcher limit, a player must accrue both at least 20 major league innings pitched and at least 20 games started as a position player or a designated hitter with at least three plate yeah. appearances in each of those games. So there, I'll, I'll go over the rules. There's a bunch of rules now, but, yeah, you got to designate yeah. the guy and say he is a two-way player. Right. But I think in the case of Otani, it seemed like that new rule was going to benefit the Angels because he's not going to be ready to pitch, but he can hit at the major league level and then go to the minor leagues and pitch in a normal rotation to get his arm ready to pitch. So it sounds like my question, though, if that's the case, they would have to option him, I would think, unless he goes on a rehab. But still, I don't know. It's kind of confusing because essentially as a pitcher, he's not ready. As a hitter, he is. And I, I said last year, 
when he was coming off Tommy John surgery, he was he was hitting. And I made a joke because he's hitting so well. I said, they should stipulate that guy with Tommy John surgery has to take the full time off. He can't hit. Well, he's an exception to the rule because he's a, he's a two-way player. But uh, that is interesting with a team having two uh, possibly really makes it interesting. And now with the 26th roster, 26-man roster, the interesting thing there, they would have to designate, let's say, Walsh and or Otani as position because you can't have more than 13 pitchers under the new rules of 26 players. So there's some things that have to be decided, but uh, I think if anybody can do it, Joe Madden can because he's, uh, he's pretty good. Yeah, I want to see him. I want to see him be in home run derby. I want to see him pitch in the All Star game <laughs> and hit in the All Star game. Wouldn't that be incredible? <laughs> that would be great. But you know what? I, I agree with you because if if you're his agent and he is able to stay healthy a whole year, he can hit. I mean, we saw him his first year. He's we legit. Saw him get his first major league hit. He can hit. First major league hit, and then saw him pitch almost a perfect game. You know, he was that good with the splitter and everything. So uh, I, I would think that come time negotiation, you have to say, well, he's not just a very good pitcher. He's an excellent hitter as well. And you combine those two, you're not going to make Mike Trout money because Mike Trout's the best in the game. But uh, plus, he, did you see that golf ball he hit the other day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That left the top golf just complete. He was, even uh, uh, was it Mickelson said, how, how do you do that? You know, so, uh, but no, he's a pretty talented athlete, but, uh, but the Angels are going to be good. That's going to be some interesting questions about the Angels and the, the two-way players, especially Otani. I, I think they just want to see him back healthy completely with doing the knee and the Tommy John surgery and have the complete player. He's still young, and uh, I think they're going to be able to get quite a bit out of the young man before he retires. You've seen a lot of baseball in your career, and you've seen a lot of greatness. Where do you put Mike Trout? Versus all the, I mean, you, you played against Mays, and you got to see Aaron. Uh, you got to see Stan Musial, Mickey Mantle, Bonds, Ricky Henderson. Where do you put Trout? Well, first of all, when, when I talked to him and Derek Jeter was still playing, I said, you know, Mike, when Derek Jeter retires, you're the face of baseball because you're clean cut, you play the game the right way, you're a talented player. But as far as comparing him, what I like about him, remember he, they said his outfield play was not as good as it could be? He worked on his outfield. He strengthened his arm. He, he, you know, he's got tremendous speed, so he can make up for, say, a misjudged uh, fly ball. He can make up for that. But I don't know. I can't think of anybody. When you think of the power, the speed, uh, the, the eye that he has to draw the walks, he can steal bases. He can play the outfield, cover. I mean, he's, he's a complete player. He's not just a DH where he's hitting. He completes the, the, the gamut of being a great player. So uh, I, I don't like to go back and, and take, like, say, Aaron, uh, Musial, Mays, the guys that you mentioned. These are tremendous players in an era which is different than now. Uh, those guys, and I know when I play, we didn't have the scouting reports that they have now, what a guy throws, how much, how, what his velocity is. So I think Everything that enhances the game today, uh, whether it be the technology or the knowledge of the game, uh, of what somebody is doing, I think that helps the player. But I think you can overthink it as well. I, I, I think at times it's better just to see ball, hit ball, and let's go. If you have talent and eye coordination, you're going to be a great player as a, as a hitter. But Mike Trout is good, and, and if he stays healthy, my question, should he not play? <laughs> there's a lot of money that they are paying him not to play. 
So I'm sure that, uh, you know, with, with players so-called needing the rest, the days off or whatever, we won't see a Cal Ripken Jr. anymore. It's a question that the fans are going to go see Mike Trout play, and they are hoping that he plays just because they're going to watch him play. But to answer your question, I don't know that you can compare him to anybody because he's that good. And the way that he has kind of changed the game, he's a threat. And, and you know, I, I think of whenever Pujols is hitting behind him, he's at first base, so let's say first and third, infield back for a double play. And I've said this, he would run, he'd steal second to stay out of a double play, knowing that if Albert hits the ball on the ground, it's going to be a double play. So he's smart in that sense, but he's also a, an exceptional hitter, very quick, and uses the whole field. But, man, what a tremendous talent. But uh, um, he's very outspoken about the Astros, too, which I think kind of set him aside because he, he was kind of not out of the public a lot, but uh, he did speak out about the Astros and what was going on. So he's turning into the type of player I'm sure baseball wants. But I still say with the way he is, he's a, he's a complete player, and he probably right now is the face of baseball just because of everything he can do. Foss, you are the best. We'll see you on Saturday. You're a good man, Tony. Cody, the best. And uh, sorry I'm missing you, Cody, but see you back at the Coliseum. But, you know, I, did you see the picture of the Coliseum, how great it looks, that Clay Wood is working on that and so beautiful? I mean, it's, it's pristine, and that's always great to go back to that beautiful Coliseum and see the fans out there. And, uh, you know, it, it's, just a, it's just a great time of the year, as we always talk about. It's going to be a special season for the A's, for the A's fans. And uh, let's just say a little prayer at night that everybody stays healthy because if this team is healthy, they're going to – I wouldn't say surprise. I think they are, they've made themselves known around baseball that they're a very good team. And I think we're going to see that come March the 26th, the Coliseum on the opener against the Minnesota Twins. See you on Saturday. You're a good man. Take care, my friend. Well, it's always great having you on. Love the work in The Athletic and, of course, on MLB Network. It's second to none. And what do you think A's camp so far? Well, I just got here. But there's a good vibe here. Actually, there's a good vibe in 30 camps right now. It always <laughs> amuses me. I was telling my wife last night, I say, everybody's happy. Yeah. But these guys have actually a reason to be optimistic. And they've got a great club. We know that. And the division is different because who knows what the Astros are going to be. And... I don't mean it from the sense of, oh, well, now they're not going to be banging the garbage can. They weren't doing that last year, and Major League Baseball found they weren't doing anything last year. So the real question to me is, how do they react to all that's coming their way and all that they're dealing with? And we don't know the answer to that. So even on the merits, the A's have a talented enough team to possibly overtake them. Now it just becomes an even more interesting equation. Yeah, because you look around, no matter if we're talking about the NFL or we're talking about the NBA, NHL, whenever there's chaos around a team, usually they don't fare well, and there's going to be a lot of chaos around the Astros this year. Now, it could go either way, Chris. And the other way could be, hey, we are going to show the world we are good, and this was not who we were. Well, it was who they were for a time. (laughs) But we are this legitimate team, and we're going to prove it. And Dusty Baker certainly has a lot of motivation himself simply because he's never won a World Series. So, again, I am eager to see how it plays out. I don't know if anyone has any idea. This is unprecedented, the whole thing. So we'll just see. And I think about for the A's, sometimes you need to fail to learn how to win. And, you know, they win 97 games. It was kind of a shocker to everybody. And then last year was like, well, let's see you do it again. And they did it again. 
and now it, I got the sense there's more confidence around here that they think they know they now how to do it and how to win and go on a postseason run. I agree with your premise there. And on the flip side, you look at teams like the White Sox and the Padres and the Reds, teams that seemingly or want to be on the rise. We haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen them win yet. And until I see it, I won't necessarily believe it. And it's not a criticism of those teams, but there's a step that you have to take, that next step. Now, these guys have taken that step. So then the question becomes, okay, what can you do if you get again to October? And in the famous words of Billy Bean, the postseason is a crapshoot, and that's true. And do they have the depth to withstand all that? I don't know. But certainly the talent they have is immense, and they have a chance to do some special things. And the American League's really interesting right now because we don't know what's going to happen with the Red Sox. A lot of injuries with the Yankees. Twins are going to hit a lot of home runs. Rays are kind of like the A's. They're going to be really tough. We're not sure. Can the Angels get 27 outs on a nightly basis? And then there's a lot of rebuilding going on. So the American League's pretty pretty wide open. I agree with that totally, Chris. And I wrote recently about the Rays. It was right after somebody with the Yankees got hurt, maybe Severino. And basically my point was, all right, there's an opening here. Red Sox are not as good. I don't care what happens. They don't have Mookie Pets. They don't have David Price. They might not have Chris Sale. So they're not as good, period. Um, the Astros, we don't know. The Angels, let's see them pitch. So all of these factors are in play. There's an opening for someone. Now, the day I wrote about this, I picked Tampa Bay because their depth is superior. And they also have the system to make any trade they want. Um, but could that team be the Ace? Of course it could. Could it be the Twins? The Even the Indians, if they get things going their way. So, yeah, the league is a little more open than perhaps we've seen in recent years yeah you mentioned some of your articles and i think the one thing that you know for all these years being in radio where everybody said less is more i think what the athletic has proved to us if you do quality journalism it doesn't have to be short it can be well thought out it can be longer and i'm so glad because that was the same thing in radio they're like shorten your interview so well if it's a good interview and podcasts have shown us that like what we're doing with A's cast if you do quality people like the length and i'm so glad the the athletic kind of brought that back to journalism well i really appreciate you saying that and i totally agree with you and at the time that foxsports.com where I was eliminated writing there was a lot of websites doing the same thing were a lot doing the same thing and there was this talk that the written word is dead and people don't read to read I didn't buy it then and I think we have proven that that premise was garbage just wrong and I know it's not for everybody who might not want to pay I, I get that we understand that but our subscribers generally are quite happy, and it's actually too much for them. It's too much for anybody. I can't read everything we have every day. <laughs> so I'm overjoyed by it and success we've had, and some of the stories we've been able to do. There, there are some incredible things just in baseball. Almost every day there's one really good or two really good stories, and on a really good day there might be five, and that's just baseball. And there's the NCAA basketball, and there's football and college football. I, so I think we have shown it can work, and it's kind of one of the more fulfilling things 
honestly, in my career, because of the, all the talk, nah, no more writing, no, no, that's not true. Yeah, our buddy Eno Saris from the Bay Area, and we, we we actually had him on yesterday, but we have him on quite a bit, and we talk about the deep dive he's allowed to go in, in depth, and and the people in baseball, it's kind of like what we've done here with A's Cast, where everybody in baseball is supporting us because we're the only ones doing it, and so everybody's really good to us, but it's like you're able to do things that you weren't able to do before. Well, that's a good point, and what's interesting about that is some of the people we hired again just on baseball i didn't know how good they were because they weren't in a structure where they could let it go and write longer or write features they were on deadline they had a game store to do a notebook to do all these different things that are required of a daily newspaper or website writer some of these people we hired surprised me and i felt in the way i should have known but there was no chance for them to shine this place, our place, gives them a chance to shine. And talking about the team the A's are going to be playing today, and you start looking at the lineup, and you throw Mookie Betts in that lineup, you're just like, it could be kind of an all-time lineup. I mean, what do you think about the Los Angeles Dodgers? Yeah, I love them. We talk about depth. They have that. They have everything, it seems. And the only thing they haven't done is win the World Series since 1988. And they've had teams good enough to do it, for whatever reason, different reasons each year, it hasn't happened. This is a year where you can point to and say, okay, barring injuries and the usual craziness that might occur, they've got a club that is certainly capable of doing that. In fact, I believe it was Pakoda had them at 103 wins and no other National League team above 88. And that's, that's a dominant-looking projection. <laughs> Let's end on this. Happened to the Dodgers last year. Happened to the A's last year, happened to the Yankees, where you start relying so much on your bullpen. By the time you get late in the season, your bullpen's burnt out. And I know, uh, you know, I watch you guys loyally on MLB Network, and you have with Brian Kinney in the discussions. But at some point, we're wearing these bullpens out, and they're, they're done in October. What needs to happen to change that? Well, maybe let starters pitch a little deeper into games. And Brian, of course, would throw out my logic there and say, well, third time through the order. I understand third time through the order might not be as good, but it's a cumulative effect on a pitching staff. And as we've seen, bullpens do wear down. And why not? They're pitching three and four innings every night. It's, it's, it's difficult to do that. So I don't know if the pendulum will ever swing back on that, but it should. Yeah, I mean, the way that, the way they've looked down the stretch, a lot of these bullpens are so tired and, and – uh, Hopefully we'll see a little more change, a little more innings. Keep up the great work with The Athletic. You're, you're fantastic on MLB Network. We love it. Thank you so much for coming on. We truly appreciate it. Chris, thanks so much. Thank you. We appreciate you stopping by. How was life for the Dodgers in 2020? Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm. We have a team that we think is going to be pretty good again. We've got an exciting expansion and renovation of Dodger Stadium happening. And, of course, we're going to have the All-Star Game. So, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to be down for the All-Star game, and having been to Dodger Stadium so many times, uh, just I can't wait to see what this renovation is going to be like. And now you can walk all the way around the stadium. Yeah, it's going to be different. We have new elevators and escalators to, to help you move around. We have an entertainment area that's two acres of stuff. The back of the pavilions will be wide open, an open boardwalk with a drink rail for the entire width of the field. Uh, and then just a lot of new foods and entertainment and 
video, and so it's going to be very cool. It's always real special to host the All-Star Game when a franchise gets it. Well, I lasted in 2000 in Atlanta, but the Dodgers haven't done it since 1980, so it's long overdue, and uh, we're looking forward to it. And when I think about the trade you guys pulled off with the Boston Red Sox, wow, what your lineup now looks like with Mookie Betts is really tremendous. Well, that was uh, something that worked for us because obviously we love Mookie like everyone else does. We were able to deal from positions of strength because right now we had some depth in our uh, minor leagues, and so it just worked for us. You don't get those opportunities very often, so when it fell into place, we jumped at it. And a veteran starter in David Price, where you got to think his numbers are going to be, in your guys' division with a lot of pitchers' ballparks, his numbers will be better than what he playing at Fenway. Oh, we're sure of that. He, uh, I don't know if he's an ace of number one right now or not, but he doesn't need to be. Uh, the way we mix and match pitchers and, and relievers and starters. So uh, we think he's going to give us a lot of good innings. doesn't have to be a 250-inning horse because we don't use pitchers that way, you know. <laughs> so, uh, no, we think he's going to make a big contribution. And both of them have already made really good contributions in the locker room. They're both veterans. They're both winners. And you can't have enough of that around. Isn't it amazing how baseball has changed during your great career, front offices and the technology and the analytics, how just things have been so different? Well, just from 10 years ago, and, and when friends of mine who are out for a year come back, that is the first thing I tell them, said, you will not believe how much has changed in just a short period of time. When I got to L.A., we had a great front office, and we won the division the first two years, but I could see the wave coming that we needed to get better at, so we had to make change to catch up and then hopefully to, to jump ahead. And right now we feel we are where we are, where we want to be, but we haven't won a World Series yet, and that's what we really need. I know that's what L.A. is all about this year. And let's end on this. I mean, just in this game alone, looking out on the field, we see Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Cody Bellinger, Gavin Lux. The young talent in the game is just tremendous. These guys don't come up just to fit in. They come in to, to take your lunch, as I like to say. Oh, I think that's right. I know certainly in our organization we stress that. We want you ready to be an all-star when you get here. The guys with that kind of talent. And uh, we also have a veteran clubhouse that welcomes guys, that lets them become stars right away, like Seeger, like Bellinger, like Bueller, like Lux. Um, so, you know, we have a good thing going right now. Um, we need to win that one last game of the year. And then I would tell you we're happy, so we're not happy yet. And hopefully we see in October. Yeah, that's really possible. I saw a tweet today that said this could look like a World Series preview. That would be great with me. Stay on the West Coast. That would be great. <laughs> my, my last couple, we had to travel way too far, including Boston. This would be way better. Hey, I really appreciate the time, and good luck to you guys in 2020. All right, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Well, it's the first time we get to talk to you in spring training. How's it going so far? Everything's great, Tony. Uh, the guys are working hard, and it's a lot of fun to watch them go out there and compete each and every day. You know, I think this year is different for you because the past couple of years you've been trying to figure out, do we have five starters? Now it seems like you have a lot of depth, not only at the big club, but what you're going to have in AAA this year. Well, yeah, you know, you look at the squad on paper and, you, you know, there's a lot of familiarity with the guys that are returning and the guys who have been in Major League Camp before. And then you got Lazardo and Puck, uh, Pucks of the World that uh, you're anticipating being in the starting five. So, you know, on paper, it's fun to see, but we got to go out there and compete and play the game. You know, something that we, we talked about always with spring training is health and A.J. Puck being shut down and then just once again shows you really how valuable Chris Bassett is to this rotation. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, you want to have the as many swing guys as possible. That's why you're always trying to build up some guys during spring training, two and three inning guys. Uh, you look out there and during the season, they might be doing more ones and twos. But in spring training, you might be seeing some twos and threes just to see, uh, you know, if anybody else could step up and fill a starter's role. But the, the swing man, uh, the, the versatility, the guys that can do that are very valuable to, to pitching today. And I think about the way you're scheduling. You know, sometimes you look at the fifth start and go, ah, we can skip them a few times. But you got a lot of games right out of the gate and a lot of games against some really good teams. Yeah, you know, we come out of the gate with Minnesota. We got them two out of our first three series. And then we got the Astros. And then in comes the Angels, who are a much improved ball club. Uh, so, And then you got Boston and New York rolling in early. So it's important that our guys come out pitching well and they're ready to pitch. And, you know, spring training, like I always say, their first two and three games are about themselves moving their baseball around. And then after that, I start telling them, hey, we need to, we need to gear up for your outs because the outs are what are important to us. Yeah, you talk about competing, you know. Spring training's different for different guys. You know, some guys like a Mike Fires is going to be in the rotation. He can work on some things. And then there's guys that need to prove to you that they can get outs at this level. Yeah, that's when you're, you know, you're, you're looking at some of the guys. It's kind of a catch-22 because you're, you're excited about some of the young guys that come in throwing. A, I mean, you look at uh, Lazardo the other night, uh, first pitch of the game, 98 miles an hour, and then you're kind of wanting him to slow it down, and you understand <laughs> the situation. You know, Linder's from his hometown, and, and they, he wants to get out, and then the competition is there. So, you know, you're trying to slow some guys down a little bit velocity-wise, but they are trying to make the team, but you got to – you know, take it and, and re- let them realize that big picture thinking is what we're thinking about. We're not thinking about a game in spring training. We're thinking about the games in October that are, are where we want to be. So, uh, you know, I understand from their point of view, but, uh, you know, that's my job to, to, to talk to them about, hey, you know, let's slow it down a little bit. Or, hey, after three outings in spring training, we got to crank it up a little bit. How important is it to realize how tough it is to pitch down here where the ball your curveball doesn't break as it normally does it's the thin air it's the desert the ball flies out heck we were in vegas and we know that's a bandbox. i mean how much do you factor that in well you, you're always factoring that in but uh you know the biggest thing I, I like to see is how the ball's coming out of their hand uh I, I do like to see if they can get any bite to their baseball in arizona uh throwing strikes is important to me early you know you know the, the best big leaguers you know not only do they have the ability to throw strikes but they got the ability to throw balls when they want to and and, you know kind of move the hitters around and and set up some pitches so that's important you know uh, the homers that could be fly balls not so much you know the other day uh, at the White Sox Bassett gave up an opposite field home run which for me uh, I thought he still threw the ball uh, fairly decent what you don't want to see are walks you know, four-pitch walks or scattered balls all over the place. You want the guys to be around the strike zone, uh, creating some swing and miss when they can. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun to watch our guys go out and compete so far. You got a lot of young guys that are be, going to be heading to Vegas. When, when you address these guys, whether it's, you, you know, Caprillion and, and these guys, Holmes, and wh- what do you say to them? And, you know, because I know it's going to be a while before they leave camp here, but what are you going to say to them when they're heading down to Las Vegas? Well, you know, w- with any pitcher, you want them to, to realize, you know, when you, when you come up to the big leagues, you want to stay. 
you know, I, I know, you know I've been in the in the minor leagues. I was in the minor leagues a long time. I coordinated, and it seemed like guys only wanted to get to double A. I just got to get to double A. I just got to get to double A. And I, I would always remind them, how about getting a better breaking ball? How about getting a better changeup? How about not worrying about where you're pitching, but how you're pitching and what your stuff looks like? And and I get it. You know, guys get antsy. They get worried about where they're going. But they worry about controlling the controllables, and that's the stuff that they have and not worrying about what level they're pitching. Now, obviously, you want to be in the big leagues. Guys want to be on the big league team. But if you're not ready to be here, you don't want to be here because then then you're proving you can't be here. You know what I'm saying? So we need these guys to work on their craft uh, at any level they're at, master their craft, and when they come to the big leagues, they need to stay. The thing I love about you is, yeah, all these guys got good arms, but you understand it's what's in between your ears. It's like you're a mental coach to go along with being a pitching coach. Well, you know, I, you know, I do love all the attributes, you know, the, the analytics and the technology are, are great. But at the end of the day, the track mans and the rap sodas of the world, uh, they're not getting anybody out. The pitcher's actually getting them out. So, you know, we love to take the, the, the data and analyze it and see how we can get the guys better. But they have to go out and execute. You can have the best spin rate in baseball and not throw a strike, and that spin rate doesn't mean anything. You can have the worst spin rate and throw a strike with your fastball, and it will mean something because now we can play around and see what we can do. If you have the best spin rate and, and can throw a strike, you should be getting your outs, and now we can help you and tell you how you should use your spin rate to get the outs. So it's, there's always a little catch-22, but at the end of the game, I always say I want uh, major league pitchers, not minor league throwers. And I think about two different ways to, to look at pitchers out on the mound. Guys who are going out there to win and guys who are going out there to survive. And that's the mental side of the game. And as a pitching coach, I, you know, I see a lot of the young guys are trying to survive. The, the more established guys are going there to win. How do you help a guy get from being a survivor to a guy going out and attacking and winning? Well, the, the first thing is just getting out there more and more. You know, you watch a guy like Frankie Montas get out there and over the first couple of years of his career, you know, it's like he couldn't breathe out there. He's in awe that this is the major leagues. We want to be the the uh, the hunter. You know, we want to hunt them. We want to get after the hitters. We want to be the aggressor. We want to force the action. And you know, sometimes you know, it comes down to I tell guys, hey, strike them out on three pitches. Just go get them. You know, three pitches or less. You, you know, that's what we're looking for. We'll take four and we'll settle for five. That's 15 pitches an inning. And right now we'll even settle for six pitches a hitter. The way the game is going, that's 18 pitches an inning if you get to your three guys. But our guys, you know, we're we're striving to tell them strikes, strikes, strikes. You're gonna throw your balls. It's just, just that's the way the game happens. I've, I've never seen a guy go out there and, and have an outing of 26 pitches or more or whatever and throw 26 strikes. So the object of the game is to get the hitters out. That's number one. How are we going to get the hitters out? That's number two. We're going to get the hitters out with you know all our pitches. We're going to get them out with location. We're going to get them out with uh change of speeds we're going to get them out with movement and we're going to get them out with velocity so how are we going to put the game plan together for each pitcher is that fastball can that spin rate help us well it can't help us if we don't throw a strike it can help us if you've got good spin and and over 23 2200 whatever you want to call it we can pitch more at the top of the zone if we're below 2100 then we know hey this guy's got to pitch more at the bottom of the zone but 
for you to be able to pitch consistently at the top of the zone, you got to have something at the bottom of the zone, preferably soft. And for you to pitch a lot of fastballs, uh, sinkers down in the zone, means you got to move the ball east and west a little bit. you got to get the hitter out leaning out one way so you can throw a sinker the other way and vice versa. So that's the whole analytic game that we uh, try to play. And, and we got the best analytic guys in, in, in the game, in my opinion, because they understand baseball and we're communicative with each other. If, if I don't think a guy can do something, I let him know, like, hey, this is, this is hard to do. We'll work on it, and then once we master it and get it right, we'll incorporate into the game. And that's the great thing about our analytic guys and gals is that they can tell me, hey, what about trying this? And we'll look at the data together, and we'll determine the best course of action for every pitcher. Yeah, I think you just said that perfectly. It's like, okay, you can give me a whole stack of numbers, but if I can't translate that to the players, then the numbers mean nothing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some of these guys will look at you like it's Chinese arithmetic and stuff, and kind of like, I'll say say that again. They you know, say that one more time. So you know, when I get the numbers from from our analytic uh, people, it's it's okay. Let's break it down. Can these guys really do this? Can they really understand it and process the information? And what can they process? It's not just throwing it up against the wall and seeing what sticks. It's like, hey, this can help you. So now I'm selling what can help them and they should be buying and it's it's factual information that we're getting we do get some predictive information which can turn into you know factual like the weatherman it's you know it's 50% chance of rain tomorrow it's going to probably rain somewhere at 50% so we're trying to do our best as a as a as a analytic group and a pitching group to put the game plans together to mesh it to do our talking and and blend it all in and it's my job to give the information to the pitchers and like i said if if i don't understand it, hey give me a you know give it to me in a different form of verbiage so i can help uh the pitchers and at the end of the day you know all of us want to win in this organization so we're, we're striving to to gain information it's just how much information can you give to the pitcher before he gets out there and starts thinking oh my goodness i better work on my spin rate and I'm in the dugout going, what are you thinking out there? Oh, about my spin rate? No, you got to think about an out. Okay, we already know that your spin rate will help. If you put it in this location, your spin rate's going to help you. And same with breaking balls, you know. If you're down and away to your glove side, generally, uh, and you got a good spin rate on, to your, on your breaking ball, you're going to get outs. But if you can't get the ball down and away, you leave it more arm side on a consistent basis, you're losing the spin because your delivery is probably bailed out and your arm's a little bit late and you've kind of altered that spin on that particular pitch. So you see a lot of guys that have like really good breaking balls on occasion. It's the guys who have it on a, who are consistent with all their pitches that makes their makes their really good pitchers. Let's end on this. It was unfortunate what happened to Frankie Montas last year. He was going so well. I mean, he could have been an all-star, could have been starting in the all-star game. You've really helped him mentally and also with the split finger to go with the fastball to give him something else. It's it's almost like having him back this year is going to be like adding a big-time free agent. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you know, one thing that, you know, everybody always, they're probably sick of me saying this, but uh, if hitting's time and pitching is disruption of timing. So Frankie's, you know, when you're throwing a, a change up 4% of the time and then you're offering this split to somebody and you're working on it and you throw it even more, you're separating, you know, the, the timing of the hitter. You're, you're going to disrupt his timing. But what that also did is it helped out his fastball and it helped out his breaking ball because now they got to look for something slow and diving down rather than breaking down and then that all of a sudden they look for that and all of a sudden they get 98 on them so it's it's not only helped out you know the split finger uh, has helped him out but it's helped out all his other pitches as well i could talk to you all day well, I, I i love this game and uh, <laughs> let's, let's get out there and go win one have fun today and we'll see you back in oakland sounds good to me so it's been a while how you been i've been good been good just trying to survive and the off-season for you, I know this was a big off-season for you, traveling a lot and, and always doing a lot of different things to help people. So what's the off-season been like for you? It's been good. It was it was hectic in there for a little bit, but uh, it went through periods where we didn't really do too much, and then we did a lot in, in a short span. So, like, uh, I flew out to Oakland in uh, early December, spoke at the Boys and Girls Club of Oakland, Gala they had out there, then went to L.A. for a couple of days to spend some time with my agent, then went to Hawaii on vacation, then went from Hawaii to Australia to uh, spend Christmas with my parents and then came back all the way just in time for New Year's and it's um, yeah it's been it's been hectic for sure but I feel like we 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 got a lot accomplished this off season as well which is good. It was so scary in Australia. What's what, what's it like now? What's been going on? Uh, there's still some fires burning. There's still um, it's still not fully contained or anything like that. But a lot of the populated areas are, are like uh, they're they're a lot safer now. There's no there's nothing really pushing towards any of the populated areas. But that has a lot to do with just the lack of wind. The wind died down. The rains came a little bit. Uh, my future brother-in-law almost had to fly across the country to help fight the fires over the East Coast. And, uh, yeah, it's still they're still burning. It's still um, it's still around. Uh, but it's it's dying out now. We're just trying to uh, – everything now is going towards the firefighters, making sure that they're equipped and adequately compensated for, the, uh, for all the work they've done. With a travel schedule like that for you – when do you start throwing? How do you start throwing? Because I know you're a guy who likes to throw a lot. Yes, yeah, so season unfortunately finished on what October 3rd for us. Mm-hmm. I started throwing October 15th, so I took a couple weeks off and then went back into it October 15th. Luckily enough, to I could go down to uh, FGCU, which is a local college in Fort Myers. It's a Division One college down there, and they've been really helpful with uh, just being able to kind of get guys out there so I can throw and then get <laughs> catches out there. So yeah, I got uh, took about two weeks off, started throwing again. Uh, through some, ended up throwing a couple bullpens in November, and then threw a couple bullpens while I was gone in Australia. Uh, played catch in Hawaii, Hawaii with Mark Zepchinski, who is uh, he's over there with the Blue Jays now on a, on a minor league deal over there. So hopefully he can make, make that team. But uh, yeah, then went go back to Florida, did the same thing, just threw a couple bullpens, had a couple live batting practices before I came out here for spring training. And the mentality going into this season for you, you're the closer, and we talk about your run as one of the most fun runs we've watched. What is that mentality like knowing that now you are the established closer, you're the all-star? What were you thinking about in the offseason about that? Uh, well, my mentality has to still be that I'm not the closer, that I'm not even guaranteed a spot on this team. That's just the way I need to think about things. It's uh, For me, it's just, I, I struggle a lot with complacency. So if I always if I ever feel like I've got a team made or if I've got a role defined, like I just it, it gets into my head and I just it, it's almost like I don't have as much to work for. Uh, so for me, I need to make sure that I don't have that. 
So I've come into camp this year telling, I've spoken to Bomo, I've spoken to Emo, and just been, look, I don't want anything to, like, any announcements come. If you want to announce somebody else, go for it. Like, I'm all for it. Like, I'm, I need to make sure I come into camp and I win this job, not just because of what I did last year, but because of what I'm doing in spring training. Like, I need to go in there and, and prove to everybody that I can I can do this, and this is what I'm this is what I'm about to do now, and kind of work from it for there, because last year's last year. It doesn't matter anymore. And I think about, you know, the one thing that I took from FanFest was the confidence this team has. You know, 97 wins, two straight years. But I think the first year, it just like all of a sudden just happened. Last year, got hot really in the second half. But talk about the confidence going into 2020. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's an aura around this clubhouse that uh, it's just it's nothing to be messed with. Um, I think Chapman said it best when he was, I was watching the Vegas games. He said it best when he was on camera there. He said, if we win 97 games, we'll be disappointed. So our goal this year is to win, is to hit those triple digits. Our goal, we, we won 97 games with kind of stumbling out of the gates a little bit last year, and we've got practically the same team, especially on the position player side. So kind of um, we're just trying to build off that 97 win season from last year, but we got a bunch of guys in here that know how to win, and now we just need to put it forward in April and May and then not have to kind of worry about turning it on in June. You didn't make the Vegas trip? No, I tried, and I tried to avoid I didn't pitch on those two games. So they asked me if I wanted to go, and, I mean, there, there was a couple good shows that I wasn't, like, I wouldn't have <laughs> minded seeing. But no, I, I enjoyed the, some, some downtime here with my wife and the kids. So pets. So <laughs> enjoy some time down here just doing that sort of stuff. And it's, it's, it's nice in spring training when you, it's a little bit more of a relaxed schedule when they were gone. So we had, uh, it, was, it was nice just being able to sit on the couch, read a book, and, and have some of the dogs and cats just annoy you endlessly while trying to read. People don't realize, like, after a while, this gets pretty old. I know for me, I mean, I've been down here for a while. You start wanting to get back to a little normalcy because spring training kind of drags. Yeah, I mean, I'm at the field. I wake up at 6 o'clock every morning to get to the field. Uh, games don't start to 1, and yeah, we, just, we we get here early. We make sure we get everything done with making sure our bodies are getting into check and in line with what we need to get for the season. And then, uh, yeah, it's it's you're in the sun a lot too, so it's just it's physically draining a lot. And there's especially in spring training because there's what 16 teams in Arizona. There's a lot of events that are going on. Like I'm bartending at an event tonight. Um, <laughs> I don't drink at all, but I'm apparently a bartender. But it's uh, it's a it's a good charity just to kind of get uh, get things moving and stuff. And it's just you got, we have two days off the entire spring training and. I had one yesterday, and I spent that doing some media stuff all day. So it's uh, you don't really get too much time off. I know you don't drink. How the heck are you going to be making drinks? You don't even know how, to, how are you going to make them. Well, I've never been accused of having a light pour, so I mean, I just I can't gauge it. I mean, it's just so I mean, people come to come to me because I'm I'm more of a heavy pourer guy. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's regardless of what what people are drinking or anything like that. I can I can uh, crack open a, a beer and hand it to them pretty easily. Hey, we always love having you on Ace Cast Live. We appreciate it, and we'll see you back in Oakland. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, and I got to think this spring has been very special, especially since that big trade with Boston. It's been special, and every spring is obviously different and exciting, but obviously when you acquire two players like David Price and Mookie Betts, it certainly uh, infused a lot of positivity and excitement in, in our club, uh, the entire organization, and Dodger fan base. And for me personally, just to get to watch these guys work day in, day out, and integrate with the guys that are already here, teammates coaches it's been a lot of fun you know when i'm looking at your guys lineup it's like incredible 
We're talking about you have an opportunity to probably be one of the best lineups we've ever seen in baseball. We do. We do. And, um, you know, it's not just the one through eight. It's, uh, you know, one through 13, 14, 15 as you go through a major league season. And the thing, Chris, that I love is the way that our guys prepare each day uh, as far as understanding what the pitcher's trying to do and their approach to that particular pitcher. And when you get in the batter's box, just the grind mentality. And every at-bat is a grind, and there's a purpose, and trying to win every pitch. And that makes it fun for me as a coach. You know, I think about expectations. And as a player, you had expectations, obviously winning a championship. I I love when teams have those expectations. And when that goal is to win the World Series. No, absolutely. And I think that, you know, not every team can say that every single year is that the goal is to win the World Series. And um, so that expectation comes with responsibility. And the tough thing is how you go about it each day, because obviously that's the goal. But and when you look out, but the challenge for us is every single day is to get better and to win it, to get it more on the micro level is to just win one baseball game. And, you know, today we got the A's and, you know, we're going to go out there and try to win a baseball game. And I think that for us is, you know, whether it's spring training, the regular season or the postseason, there's a certain brand of baseball on the style that you play. Bob Nightingale, I had him on my show earlier today, and he said he thinks this is a World Series preview today. Obviously, the A's with a lot of confidence, back-to-back years, winning 97 games. But I really get the sense they're kind of like your club. that they, they see it, they feel it, and Bob Melvin is a great skipper. And these are two really good teams going after it. It, it is. It, they are two really good clubs, and I really have a lot of respect for Bob Melvin. I don't really know him very well, but what he's done – you know, how he gets his guys prepared and how they play certainly is a reflection of, you know, the organization, him and his coaching staff. And it's a, it's a very talented position group. And then the young guys with some really good arms and, you know, Matt uh, Chappie is one of my favorite players to watch and Semyon had a big year and, you know, you, you've got Olsen at first base and they got go along with those big arms. So it's going to be a fun year. And uh, fortunately, we don't get them in the regular season. We might see them in October, though. Yeah, and, and I think about all the good young players in the game. And you just mentioned some of them. You throw in Bellinger. Isn't it amazing these guys are so young and they come up ready? They come up ready to take your lunch. They're ready to play. They do. And that's the great thing about this game is that in so many ways, the game has evolved and changed. Um, but I do think one of the great things about this game is there's so many, uh, so much more young talent. And, you know, when you, we got a guy today, Gavin Lux, who just turned 22. He's a special player. And the makeup, the head, the, uh, the curiosity is so much fun to watch. And now you kind of layer that in with some veteran players that we have, which makes our group special. But around baseball, it is fun. And as a young fan watching the game, when you see all these young, athletic young players, it, it, it's, shows and speaks to where our game is at and the future uh, is in really good standing i think of bellinger in three years he's been rookie of the year he's been mvp we were going over his stats the other day 111 home runs just how special can he be as because defensively offensively spectacular uh, you know what? It remains to be seen how, how special he can be, and, and we'll get to, to know that I'm going to get a front seat to watch it, which has been great. But I think with Cody, the maturation as far as understanding the, the attention to detail and how to prepare and his routine every single day is the same. And that, for me, um, is the next level, which he's really got to and is going to continue to grow because early on you know there's a cat and mouse really not knowing who he is they don't know him he doesn't know the pitchers it's talent but now when the adjustments are taking place he's got to go to his routine and 
Justin Turner, I think, has been very pivotal in, in Cody's development. Let's end on this. Of course, you have one of the most famous stolen bases in the history of baseball. How great is it when people bring it up and that memory for you is so special to ever be etched in the history of the of, of playoff baseball and then, of course, leading to the World Series? It's very humbling, and I, I think that for me to play for a storied franchise, uh, the Boston Red Sox, to win a championship there, bring a World Series back to New England in, in 80, first in 86 years, it's great, something I hold in high regard. Um, I think it speaks to me being a good teammate and being prepared. I was in, I was a bench player at that point in time and just being ready when called upon. So that is my story. It's, I don't talk about that very often, but I think the point being is you just never know and you got to be ready when called upon. Resonates with any player. So uh, thanks for bringing that up, and uh, hopefully I'll get a championship in a, in a Dodger uniform too. Well, I'm always rooting for you. Good luck in the 2020 season. Hopefully we'll see you in October. All right, Chris. Thanks for having me. So how have you been feeling so far in spring? Uh, feel good, you know, just trying to go out there and um, compete like always to just be myself. Yeah, you know, we're expecting a big year out of you. You had such a great start of the year last season, of course, and then you came back at the end of the year and you felt good and looked good. What are you expecting this year? Um, just trying to keep the same mentality, you know, just like last year, just trying to go out there and compete, um, give a 100%, just, just do my best and uh, give the team the best chance to win. Yeah, and I just talked to actually with Scott Emerson about you, and it's like, you know, having you back for a full season is like adding a, a big-time free agent. And we talked about your split-finger fastball, how it just it, it just changed everything for you, made your, made your breaking ball better, made your fastball better. Just talk about the confidence you have in that splitter, which is so nasty. Uh, I said, Pete, uh, um, just feel pretty comfortable just throwing it in, in, uh, in the con. And, uh, um, like I said, um, I can I can control it, you know, which is good. Plus, <laughs> uh, just adding one more pitch to my uh, repertory, so I think that make a really big difference for me. When did you feel you had that confidence that you could throw it in any count? Was well, last year in spring training. Um, I threw it one time in a game, and then I see um, the hitters kind of like trying to swing it, so I was like, oh. Okay, this is something that probably can help me later on. And then I just, the more I use it, the more comfortable I get with it. So I think that was that was what made the difference last year for me. And I think about this rotation right now. When you look at Mike Fires and you look at yourself, Sean Manaya for a full season, uh, Jesus Lazardo, AJ Puck, Chris Bassett. Talk about the depth and the strength of the starting rotation. Man, I feel like all of us can go out there and. Uh, and be an ace, you know what I mean? All of us can just uh, um, do a good job, you know? Um, and I'm just I'm just trying to enjoy it, man. Just trying to uh, learn something from everybody. No matter if it's Bob, Lusardo, um, they, they're the guys that like, have less time. But I feel like we can learn something from everybody, you know? And uh, I just... Like like Manaya said, man, this rotation is nasty right now. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, I think we, if we're not the best rotation in the big leagues, we we close. And do you have the feeling like this is going to be a special year for the Oakland A's after two years of winning 97 games back to back? Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I feel like every year we learn something, we get more experience, and uh, we're better. So um, I feel like we got a pretty good chance this year. And let's end on this. How great is it pitching behind this infield and outfield defense? The A's defense is very special. It just it just gets yourself like outside comfy, you know. Um, you can you can throw every pitch you want. You can miss. 
then those guys are going to make plays for you. You know, just having Matt Chapman, Olson, and uh, um, Simeon out there, it's just, it's just incredible. You know, you just feel like like you can throw at any pitch and then just let them hit it. They're going to catch and make it out for you. Hey, great stuff, and we'll see you back in Oakland. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate Thank it. you. We've been joking all off season that you came up with one of the best lines last year on A's Cast Live when you talked about your love-hate relationship with StatCast because uh, uh, we've been having these defensive guys on there like, what do you mean, StatCast? StatCast loves Robbie Grossman. Yeah, um, they loved me last year, um, but it's um, it's a great metric and it's a great um, way to evaluate how you're playing and uh, it's just more information for us baseball players, front office, and fans to indulge in and uh, really see what is actually happening. How are you feeling going into 2020? I feel great. Um, my body feels great. Um, made some adjustments with my swing in the off season, and uh, I'm uh, really looking forward to being on a first place team. Which swing? <laughs> Both of them. Um, <laughs> it's a like I said, we we'll always say when I signed in 2008, I told myself it's, my goal was just to get a little bit better every day and. Uh, over the last how many years it's just um it's kind of being a work in progress and and uh here i am today still trying to get better every day and it's still my motto and uh it's um it's paying off early but um there's a lot of a lot of games left you know that's the one thing people don't realize when when you switch hit it's the maintenance of two swings and now you're talking about changing two different swings how tough that is compared to just having one yes i think it's a kind of a blessing in disguise too um to be able to feel it on both sides and take away what you what you interpret on both sides, your feel versus real, and, uh, and it helps out in some ways, but it is a lot of work and it's a lot of maintenance. Do you want them both to be similar? Are they different? How, how is it? Because every every switch hitter I ask, their their answer is different. Yeah, um, I've always told like don't try to make the same swing both ways, and and don't try to do this. Don't do, I try to make them the same both sides so I can know what I'm doing and try to emulate both sides of the same and feel the same things and uh, that's what's worked for me and it might be different for someone else but uh, it's it's a, it's a tough gig. Uh, running into the wall today? <laughs> really? <laughs> well I got mad at Chappie because he did it and I said what are you doing? Like the ball's five rows in the stands and then I do it in a c- couple innings later but I didn't realize the wind was, uh, I didn't know the wind was blowing, but the one he hit me, I was like, there's no way that's going in the stands. And the people in the stands are telling me, there's no way you're catching that. And then I didn't, but uh, hey, um, I'd rather err on that than, than let slow up and let it drop. And what's a trip about these ballparks is how small the fences are. Yeah, that's what I was just talking to Fires about. It's not that there's a fence there, it's just how small it is. It's it's better to run in a fence that's six feet high than three feet high because it kind of undercuts you, but um, that's just part of it. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a funny part of the game. I've noticed one thing with this team from when we saw you guys at FanFest and now being down here at spring training, the word is confidence. You know, you win 97 games two straight years. It seems like this team is ready to take the next step. Yeah, um, when you win 97 games in the big leagues and you don't even win your division, um, it just speaks how strong our division is. And we have the talent. We look around here. We have the same team as last year. And uh, the, the camaraderie we have, the culture we have here is second to none. And, um, it's, uh, it's going to be a special season. And, and you see how the guys interact with each other. And, and 
get along and all pulling for each other. It's uh, it's it's special. And defense has been such a hallmark. Corner outfield, corner infield, shortstop. Just talk about how the defense is just so strong. I mean, we got play, we got guys who can flat out play um, everywhere, and we got two corner infielders that won back to back Gold Glove and back to back Platinum Gloves. Um, no other team has that, and uh, and then you have a uh, I thought M- MVP and shortstop, um, but it's um, defense is one of our strong suits, and and we can hit and we can run the bases, so it's gonna be hard to beat us. We appreciate the time. Stay healthy, and we'll see you in Oakland. Thanks for having me. Back-to-back years, one in 97 games. I think you got to be pretty fired up coming into 2020. Yeah, it's um, the core group is back. Um, I think we're hungrier than we were the past two years. And um, with the top prospects like Puck and Lazardo helping out, out as starters, I mean, I feel like, um, you know, they're going to carry a big load for us and, and help us along the way. So, you know, we're excited, and um, but we got to get it done on the field. You know, we... We come on paper, you know, we, we look good on paper, really good. So it's about staying healthy, getting out there, and, and just getting it done. Yeah, Bob Nightingale, we are having a conversation today. He said this could be the World Series preview right here. And I think about your staff and you being the vet, the leader of the staff. Leader of the staff. What's that like for you, helping out all these young guys? Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I've never seen myself <laughs> as that type of person, you know, coming up because you're always – you know, trying to um, not step on anyone's toes, coming up as a as a young guy and just following the lead. And but now, you know, in this part of my career, you know, as a starter, we have a lot of young guys. So, you know, I need to lead by example, uh, play the game the right way, and um, just help them out in any way I can. And you look really good so far in spring training, heading to the start of the season. Is this exactly the way you want to feel heading in? Yeah, I feel like I'm definitely ahead of the curve. So. Um, you know, if the season started tomorrow, I feel like I would be in a good spot. So, um, you know, the earlier you can feel, you know, like <laughs> you get that that kind of dead arm out of the way or the cobwebs where your your arm feels more flexible and you're you're building up your arm and you're in a you know comfortable spot out there pitching. I think um, you know it's huge. Uh, I think you know there's been years where I've started the year and just felt like I haven't been ready. So. It's a tough grind to like try to get ready and try to perform at the same time. So um, I'm just glad that right now um, I started a little bit earlier in the off season and feel a lot better now. You know, the hallmark of this team, people have always thought it's, you know, two years ago it was the bullpen. You know, last year, the past couple of years, a lot of home runs. But really it's been the defense behind you, infield and outfield defense. Mm-hmm. Talk about this defense. and is, has, is it one of the best you've ever pitched in front of? Yeah, we got – you know, a couple of gold gloves, a platinum glove. I mean, there's guys around that, you know, probably in the running for gold gloves, you know, just been beat out by a little bit. But, you know, I'll, I'll put our defense up against anybody. Um, we're very well-rounded, you know, pitching, defense, hitting, bullpen, starting. I mean, so, you know, when you have that kind of that group with you, I mean, you just go into the season that much confident. Uh, there's not really much we have um, lacking. So any team that plays us knows they're in for a, a tough battle. Astros won 107, Dodgers won 106. You know, everybody won 100 games last year in the American League who won the division. You won 97 games, but it goes to show you really need to get out to a good start. How important is that for you guys? Yeah, it's it's very important. It's um, April is just as important as uh, as September, and we got to come out of gate strong. And um, you know, those teams have 
have come out strong. And uh, they, I don't really think they've had a, a month where they really slumped. So, you know, that's being consistent, and that's what's going to work in this game. Um, you know, you have six months to, to get as many wins as you can, and it's just that's just part of the game. Uh, you you got to be ready to go uh, from day one and, and be consistent through September. So um, it's a tough league, and you just got to be ready. I hope you're getting that ball on opening day because you've earned it, and uh, it's going to be a fun season. We appreciate the time, and we'll see you back in Oakland. All right. Thank you. Spring training 2020, how you feeling? I'm uh, feeling good. Just really excited um, to have pretty much everybody coming back. Um, everybody's getting better every year. You know, we're, we're still together, so that's you know I think we're going to do well. You know, I think about this team, and the number one thing I took away from this team at FanFest was confidence. And you think about back-to-back 97 wins and where you guys are now, and as you mentioned, the core back together. Talk about that confidence you guys have right now. Yeah, I mean, right now it's still early, but um, we've had some success. And you get to the playoffs and you see how it's done you know, to get there. It's, and we, we know what we need to do to get past that. So it's, it's just a matter of getting it done and putting the work in. Yeah, a lot of teams, you, you, you learn by being good, and then you learn some from failure. So the fact that you've been in that game twice, you now know you don't want to be in that game again, and it's about you know winning the division. Yeah, I mean, if you break down our month-by-month performance, it was the start that we had that kept us out of the division lead. Um, we've got better pitching at the beginning now. We've got the same position guys for the most part. Um, you know, we, We've added some pieces, so I think it'll be exciting. I know we talked to you down at the winter meetings in San Diego, and I'm going to ask you the same question. When did it really set in in the off season where you went, damn, I had a really good year? Uh, I think in San Diego, just when we went down there for the uh, all MLB team, and um, you know, you just kind of see you know, video and just stats and stuff, and you said, wow, I really improved, <laughs> and uh, the work that I put in, it's all coming together. And the one thing I think about your team, because a lot of people talk about offense. Two years ago, it was about the bullpen. I think the hallmark of your team and the reason why you guys win is defense. Not only your infield defense, your outfield defense. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, we're, we, we work hard. We work hard at it. Uh, everybody has a routine. Um, even the outfielders are out there, you know, during BP, just going really hard. And we've set a culture here to, you know, that it's cool to be good at defense and work on it. And, um, yeah, that's what we do, and we've seen great results. And one of the good things about this spring is normally at this time, Billy Bean and David Force are trying to figure out a pitching staff. How nice is it to know your core and your starters? Yeah, that's nice. I mean, um, even if someone goes down, we've got a lot of depth now, and um, you can kind of see who it's going to be. We've always been kind of wondering what that fifth fit spot's going to be. Um, but, you know, we, we're pretty set right now and just got to stay healthy. How's the family? Kids are growing fast. Yeah, they're here. They're here with me and, uh, you know, just watching baseball, and they love it. And I, I'm happy they love uh, to watch what I do, and, and they, they love to play when I get home, too. Yeah, it's cool they're getting to see you at this age because, I mean, I blink right now, and all of a sudden my twins are 14, so it happens real fast. Hey, great catching up with you. Stay healthy, and we'll see you back in Oakland. Thanks. See you. So spring training 2020, I think this has just got to be great for you. As you feel healthy, you're throwing the ball great. And after what happened last year, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling amazing. Um, yeah, like I said, I feel uh, feel healthy. And, uh, you know, being able to work on some pitches and uh, you just use the spring training for that. And, 
and uh, you know just be consistent with everything and, and uh, just trying to be as uh, ready as possible for uh, for opening day. Um, I think is is huge. So I'm uh, I'm really excited where I'm at, and I feel like each each time I go out there, it's uh, just improving uh, little by little. I remember last year Chris Bassett said, you know, it's so nice to be at spring training and just let it go and not have to worry about being, you know, rehabbing or worried about an injury. I got to think for you, just got to clear your head and you can just go out and pitch again. Yeah. Um, you know, he said it exactly right. Not being able to worry about anything and just going out there and working on stuff that you want to work on is uh, is huge. And, uh, you know, being pain free and um, just being able to throw the ball um, without any worries. That's uh, that's huge mentally. And, uh, you know, when you're able to uh, work on stuff and you can actually like see that, um, you know, that's huge. So, um, yeah, it's awesome. I've always loved your fastball changeup combination, but now you got the new weapon, the slider that Emo helped you with. How's it going? Uh, it's great. You know, this is the second game I've thrown it in, and um, you know, I just feel each each day just gets uh, more and more um, like a better feeling in my hand, and uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, just continue that that trend, and uh, um, you know, just be a, you know, a nasty weapon throughout the season. What do you think it's going to help you more with, right-handers or left-handed hitters? Um, I mean, both. Um, you know, just uh, you know, have everything's you know based off my fastball and. Uh, um, you know, if I can get something as consistent as possible to my fastball with just that, that little break, uh, I think it's going to be, you know, really good. You know, the one thing that I've noticed about you guys from FanFest to where we are now is the true confidence in this team. Back-to-back years winning 97 games, but it's got the feeling that this team wants more and expects more. Yeah, uh, I think we're all hungry and, uh, you know, we're all striving towards the same goal and, uh, you know, everybody, you can feel that, you feel that energy throughout the, the entire team, entire squad, so... Um, yeah, everybody's on board, and, and uh, when you when you have that mindset with everybody, then uh, yeah, I think good things will happen. And your defense behind you is just phenomenal. They're getting all the awards, but all the analytics, the metrics show truly one of the best, not if the be- if not the best defense in baseball. What's it like pitching in front of these guys? Uh, makes life a lot easier. <laughs> you know, you're um, able to go out there and uh, trust your defense, and uh, you know just know that they're going to make uh, the routine plays, and then you know make some amazing plays behind you it's uh you know it's very very nice and uh yeah i mean these guys have been um you know working their butts off and obviously you know you got both mats and then um you know marcus and you know the outfield it's uh it's huge so i'm uh you know just happy to be part of this and uh yeah let's keep going let's end on this the rotation the past couple years we've always wondered who's going to be in the rotation we now know right Mm -hmm. you guys got your rotation down that's got to feel great going into 2020 being a part of this group yeah, um, yeah. I think this uh, uh, the staff that we have is, uh, you know, we're gonna be nasty and, um, yeah, it's uh, I'm you know I'm glad to be part of it and wherever wherever I'm slotted, it's, uh, you know it's game day whenever I, whenever I pitch. So I think everybody has that mindset and and uh, you know we're all doing this this thing together. So I think it's where our strength comes in and and uh, you know just uh, you know hopefully everybody can can stay healthy and um, you know just have a have a good year. Great to see you healthy, continued success, and we'll see you in Oakland. Thank you. So how's spring going for you already? Pretty good. Uh, it's good to kind of get the body adjusted to playing every day or at least doing something every day and getting back into that shape. It's hard to recreate that in the offseason, like being in cleats and playing for so long. So you're still kind of working out that little everyday soreness, but you know that's what spring's for. And it's good to see a lot of the guys, and I think uh, a lot of guys made some improvements this offseason, and as a you know, collective group, we look really good. I got to tell you, yesterday, one of the number one thing that I noticed is you got two teams out there that are talking about one thing, 
And it's about winning the World Series. So I'm over there interviewing Dave Roberts. I did their president, Stan Caston. I know how you feel. This is, this is going to be an interesting year because this is just not about trying to make the playoffs. It's about getting in the playoffs and making a run. Yeah, it's, it's you know, we've, we've had the last few seasons to try to get to the playoffs, and I think we've had enough of that. Um, you know, obviously the World Series is the end goal, but the first goal is to win the American League West and, you know, control our own destiny from there. Yeah, and I think about what what you guys have been able to accomplish as a group. Just talk about how your core is set, everybody's back, and you guys are ready to make that move. It's nice to have everybody back, and returning to spring training has been something that hasn't been a trend always in Oakland. Um, but to be able to to come in and have so many guys returning that we're comfortable playing with, that we believe in, we, we get along well, um, you know, we know how to have each other's back. We know, you know, when guys are feeling good, when they're not, when to. So, like, just all the little things that you might not know from just playing one season with somebody. Now that we've had two or three seasons together and we're confident playing together, we know how to work with each other. And I think it's only going to give us a better chance for success. You know what I like about interviewing all you guys is that you guys really want to talk about each other and not about yourselves individually. Yeah, that just kind of goes to show the the kind of team we have and why we were able to win 97 games when nobody believed in us and why we were able to win 97 games again when nobody believed in us and why we're going to win 100-plus games this year when nobody still believes in us. <laughs> so it's not a new trend, but I think it's kind of one of those things where, you know, we, uh, you know, a lot of people you know bag on the a's for the stadium or for a lot of the things that we don't have that other teams have and i think it only brings us closer together you know we don't worry about that stuff too much we just worry about being with each other and uh just trying to win baseball games every single day and we have a lot of selfless guys you know like chad pender for instance a guy that could probably play every single day on a lot of teams in the major leagues almost every team in the major leagues but he doesn't get to play every day on our team and he's He's in that utility role and, you know, he swallows his pride and he does what he has to do every day to help the team because he puts the team first. And I think a lot of guys on our team do that. It's, uh, it's why guys on our team work so hard even when they don't want to maybe because everybody else is doing it and we, uh, we just push each other forward. I love chips on the shoulder. I love the toughness that you guys have. And you individually winning back-to-back platinum gold gloves. When you head into the offseason and you think about that, it's, it's pretty spectacular. What was that like this offseason when you know you got not one but two platinum gold gloves? I, it's something I could have never dreamed of. You know, I, I always wanted to win a gold glove, but to do it two times in a row and two times to win that platinum glove, you know, I don't know, I don't know if anybody's ever won a platinum glove in their first two seasons. So... I don't you could check fact check me on that I'm not sure but but it feels I'm not sure if somebody's done it because it's such a new award but to be able to be a first in something in the major leagues is uh something that I'll be proud of forever you changed your swing I read a little bit this offseason what what did you change uh nothing too crazy but after working with uh, some of my hitting coaches uh back home and bushy um just really wanted to fine-tune my swing what is going to help me be the most efficient um and that what for me was just you know getting in my legs just a tick more and at the same time moving my hands a little bit you know further away from my head they always were in tight so i I put them back just a little bit nothing too crazy nothing major i still have the same feel it just has allowed me now to to kind of just be a little a little less movement before i had to have kind of a big movement to get ready and now it's just a, a little more simple and i can just kind of be more direct and it's not like i have to create the power i just have to be accurate with the barrel 
it just seems like you're you're a lot more comfortable, especially going into this season. I mean, you've learned a lot, yeah. you've had a lot of success, but you just personally you just seem a lot more comfortable. Definitely more comfortable. The you know as years go by, I feel uh, you know you're always worried about getting to the big leagues, then you worry about staying in the big leagues, and then uh, last year I was so worried about doing it again. And now that I know what it takes to you know repeat a good season and. That takes some of the pressure off of it and now it's just about going and winning you know it's not like i have to prove anything to anybody it's just go out there and play my game and uh you know easier said than done but you know that's the outlook i'm taking is hey i don't have to prove anything i just got to keep doing what i've been doing and just try to help the team win games and that's all i care about great stuff stay healthy and we'll see you back in oakland thanks for having me this has been a presentation of the oakland athletics 